2: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions,
1: and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm your co-host, Christopher Mukigana Harrington, joined by my North by Northeast by Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you today?
2: I'm okay. I'm sore. I got a DM from you just a little while ago, and I go, "Oh my god, I'm I, I gotta get up and I gotta get ready and we gotta record." Okay, make him go. I wrestled last night in Brockport, New York, and uh, I wrestled in a three-way match with with a Mike Skyros and a Terrell Kenneth and, and Terrell Kenneth, who's a, a big guy and he's kind of one of my students. He power bombed the shit out of me, and uh, but I'm okay. Maybe it was a sub-concussive blow, but but no concussion. The doctor looked at me and I'm okay. Did I tell you I took a bump in improv last week? Did you? Yeah,
1: I, I was I was doing a death scene and we have this like large flat, so it's kind of like a wall and then there's a top to the flat and so you're probably, I don't know maybe seven feet off the ground when you're on top of the flat, and so I did a scene where like I kind of went up against the flat and then I used like the chair to kind of like pull myself all the way up and over, and then I tried to kind of take a, a back bump down behind the flat so it looked like I kind of just got sucked up and over, but instead of like beginning to fall backwards underneath it uh i hit a support beam and so which i did not realize was right there and so i put like all my weight right on that beam which when i thought it was gonna be like open air and so like i just tweaked my back and then like wow. kind of crumpled behind the stage and i was like i'm getting too old for this shit uh so no i was fine it was just I, I felt i felt sore the next day and i was like yeah i'm 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 pretty hardcore man i'm bumping an improv so what did you take a seven foot back bump through a through a wooden no, beam no not at all it it was it the audience might have thought i was because basically i go up and then i kind of disappear
0: mm-hmm. and
1: what it is is there's kind of like handhelds on the behind the stage so i was going to just grab onto them kind of upside down and just kind of like crumple in a way that i wouldn't fall really badly but instead of even getting to that point when i went to like try to kind of arc my back like i was doing like a fosbury flop over the wall type thing instead i immediately landed on a support beam that was going sideways so it was not as graceful though i think it still was as epically awful looking as i was hoping it would be but so i also yeah also pretty sore but that's all right we are uh talking today on uh, September 23rd, 2017, it's been two days since the WWN Drama Mania, where it combines all of our favorite buzzwords, uh, lawsuits, OTT services, uh, uh, indie wrestling, um, new revenue generation models. I mean, this this is the goldmine when it comes to a Wrestlingomics radio story. This is a perfect storm. But not a quiet storm. Um this uh, – w- what broke is that Flow Sports, which is a division – or I'm sorry, is the owner of Flow Slam, is uh, suing WWN, the owner of Evolve and Shine and FIP, uh, in court for – in Texas court for a basically a uh, misrepresentation and lots of other things, saying that basically they lied to them about their numbers so that they could get a better deal. And uh, now they want out of that deal. Yeah. Were you were you hearing rumors of this before things broke?
2: Just a little bit. We heard from, from Dave Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Radio, I believe, that morning where he said that uh, some news was going to come out about WN and Flow Slam. And anyway, I believe he specified not necessarily good news, but there should be some news coming out soon. I think Robert had teased that there was some news afoot as well, maybe before that.
1: Yeah, I assumed it was going to be you know news that basically Flow Slam was giving up the ghost or yeah. was having financial difficulties and was going to reassess whether or not they would continue the service in 2018 or maybe they were even going to announce price increases again. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kept thinking that was the direction we might be hearing things. And so I, I don't think a lawsuit was going to be on our radar. And in fact, this lawsuit, I believe, was filed on the 15th. So it it was a week old and um, like a lot of things in wrestling, kind of like that CM Punk lo- uh, subpoena lawsuit that I talked about a couple shows ago. Some of these things kind of linger out there because they're not necessarily litigated in the media. And if you don't have someone who's out there sniffing in the state courts, you know, they'll usually be found on the federal courts the way the uh, Titus O'Neil, uh swerved jacket or swerved uh, – I say jackass because it was the jackass director. But swerve lawsuit showed up in federal court again. You know those are easy to find, but the state ones you sometimes have to kind of go state by state, court by court, and uh, in these large county states that can take a lot of time. And very few people have the uh, effort or the
2: interest in trying to search for all these terms. Right, and and I actually happened to read the complaint before before I had read uh, Bix's article on Fightful or Sean Radikin's article on the Torch. Uh, you had sent me a link to the complaint, and I I, th- I think I was in uh, in Wegman's. Grabbing a quick lunch before I had to be somewhere, and uh, just read it, and just because of my interests, uh, it was a, this is like the most riveting legal document that, that I've ever read.
1: Well, it 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 doesn't mince words the way sometimes uh, a business dispute will will sometimes not be as quite as a harsh language, and but this one is pretty much like this is clearly false. This is untrue. This is uh, a an exaggeration. This is them misrepresenting information. And, uh, you know, when I showed it to my wife, who, I, as I've mentioned before, is a, uh, is finished law school and will be taking the bar next year. She was like, yeah, this is kind of a textbook, uh, example of kind of a breach of contract misrepresentation. And depending on what terms were put into the contract originally, uh, it, it there's a great possibility that they can get pretty far on this complaint. Uh, I don't know Texas statute in terms of is if it's you know friendlier to uh which side in this one, but it's it's pretty clear that you know just in in paragraph two, it goes into wWN sent records listing many subscribers more than once and including purchasers of DVDs instead of broadcast services. even with the artificial inflation of viewership, the numbers wWN attempted to account for were far less than those represented, and uh, it just goes on and on basically saying we want a million dollars. And uh, it's breach of contract and negligent rep- misrepresentation. And it, it's a very short document, so yeah. we don't have a lot of details yet, but obviously more details have come out in both these articles where people have spoken on background and um, and just as people think more and more about the history of this deal. Uh, why don't you walk us through kind of um, some of the details that have come out in terms of what we think – the deal was worth and um, what the sources were hearing from flow of sport about how successful this flow slam service has
2: been. Sure. So if we just go back and start at, I believe it's late October, October 26th or something like that. That's where the, the of last year, obviously that's where the press release was uh, sent out saying, you know, flow sports is getting into the wrestling business. They're going to start flow slam. And they had signed a five year deal with WWN, which includes evolve and shine and, Eventually included things like style battle. It's a five-year deal. They stated that in the press release, and then we had kind of heard there's rumors going around that the deal is worth three to three and a half million, which over several years, though, over over, like over those five years. over those five years, I would guess that that's probably an escalating payment. So the payments get higher and higher as as, as those five years go on
1: yeah, so I mean, that would be an average of six hundred thousand or seven hundred thousand. So you would think maybe you're going to start at four hundred thousand, then five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred, or maybe fifty thousand dollars increments or something like that. And obviously there's there's also similar to um you know when we look at UFC contracts and people are arguing over, you know, is it fair what they're paid versus what Bellator's offering? Sometimes these contracts are also written in such a way that we think, oh, if they reach this threshold, they'll get this much more money. It sounded like this was a little bit more of a, a flat rate deal based on what people seem to be, you know, murmuring about. Or that the escalators for, you know, getting this many uh, subscribers hitting the next tier were so high that nobody was including that in kind of their estimation of what the value would be for this deal. So it, $3, 3 million to $3.5 million. Again, flatline that six hundred, seven hundred thousand. Even if we discount that by fifty percent, we're talking three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars, which is a very good chunk of change for a for a wrestling company. I'm sure it costs quite a lot of money to put on one of these shows, but and especially because what are they providing? Something like how many shows a a year do you, we think that that the uh, WWN overall was providing?
2: In, in the press release, it's it said that they're to provide sixty events per year.
1: Yeah, so if I just do. Four hundred thousand dollars over sixty events. You're looking at something around sixty-five hundred dollars a show. So essentially, if Evolve can run, or FIP and Shine and all these people can run their shows for less than you know four or five grand, they're in theory making a profit on this deal.
2: I'd done the math that to cover the the cost of the deal, Flow Slam would have to have an average subscribers of somewhere between two thousand five hundred and four thousand. Just, just to break even on their deal with WWE, that wouldn't that wouldn't account for any additional deals that FlowSlam would eventually make. And it wouldn't account for the salaries
1: of anyone at FlowSlam who exactly. you know are yeah. working on this. Right. It wouldn't account Absolutely. for the streaming bandwidth, for the yeah. the payment fees that are involved with processing transactions and everything else. So that's that's not even a break even point. That's just uh, cost of goods, you know. What would be that, you know, when we get to to net revenue, we have to take in all those other revenue adjustments and cap costs and everything else. Mm -hmm. So um, WWN, of course, previously had been running their own streaming service. Uh, So, yes, so they were just streaming their own Evolve events. And the quality of the stream with WWN would always be debatable, right? Sometimes they would have these streaming problems and there would be arguments over when they would get refunds and then what the value of the refund would be because sometimes it would be kind of an in-kind purchase saying, well, you get an extra pay-per-view. You can watch from the
2: Dragon Gate USA right. it library. It would be it or would something a credit like ra- rather than a cash revenue. It would be, it would be a credit. And they, there are all sorts of stipulations I've heard about. Well, if you w- actually watched a certain amount of time, 10 seconds of the stream, well, you, you, you can't get a full refund then or something like that. What would happen is so I've ordered a few WN events before Flow Slam and Especially during like the WrestleMania time, that's where they would presumably get their most traffic or most buys, and they just apparently wouldn't have the bandwidth always to handle all the people who are who are buying and viewing. So the stream would you know inevitably die, especially around those times. I I I think for at least two WrestleManias, I I ordered some events live, and there would always be at least one day where they had probably more than they could handle, and it would it would crash. That's not so much been the case with with flow slam it hasn't been perfect but i believe the the wrestlemania weekend stuff mostly came off okay
1: yeah and and that was the thing too is that they they seem like they were getting their act together a little bit but then when they flipped over to flow slam i've heard very few reports from people and we'll get into why that might be that we heard so few reports but we haven't heard a lot of people saying oh i tried to watch this and it was unwatchable right it, it for the most part it seems like the bandwidth the backbone that they developed uh and were using was was
2: actually a very reliable and uh, uh, achievable yeah. target I, I do remember some complaints like looking on twitter while a, a live event was going on and i was watching it i i do remember some people saying like their flow slam isn't working but mine was working okay so overall i, I think it was fewer problems than WWE on its own
1: what's what's Kind of funny in hindsight about this is that WWN kind of got this reputation for saying, oh, well, we can tell that you were still watching the stream and this and that. And so they – for better or for worse, they were giving the impression that they had an excellent record-keeping system so that they were capable of you know, seeing who was watching something and counting how many people were watching it. And, you know, attributing uh, unique subscriber IDs to lots of different transactions and uh, things, which goes in the face of some of the things claimed in the lawsuit where they're literally being accused of saying, well, that data was deleted. We don't have access to it or uh, we gave you a number. And then later when they said, can you back up that number and what I would consider due diligence um, the the. The data that then they provided did not in any way seem to correlate strong enough to the numbers they originally provided. And even in that data they provided, it included uh, what FlowSlam is now alleging was, was illegitimate data. So, you know, purchases of DVDs as part of their broadcast amount, which again gets to the due diligence of what exactly did FlowSlam ask for. And it's really intriguing to me because um, obviously when FlowSlam was launching the service – they had in their mind that it was going to be a lot more than just
2: Evolve, right? That was yeah. just supposed to be the tip of the iceberg. There was and, speculation about Ring of Honor, PWG, maybe New Japan.
1: Yeah, and and that you know they were ne- closer to the front of all these streaming services. I mean we even thought, hey, maybe TNA will cash in on this. Like – it wasn't necessarily what was in every fan's heart, but it was still something that we thought, "Oh, this could be something." And there were promoters that went out there and then signed deals to start streaming through Flow Slam. Uh, but it also sounds like the payments for those kind of deals were nowhere near this, you know, WWN
2: money. Right. Is that correct? Yeah, the, the numbers that I've heard per event were were much lower than what the WN per event would average out to.
1: I mean we we even heard numbers of uh, – I think in one of the articles it's quoted the Atlanta uh, wrestling entertainment uh, promoter and he said, well, I was offered $1,000 to stream my event. And then they bumped it down to $250 very recently. And
2: even even early on in the service, I, I had heard numbers in, in the low thousands that promotions were getting offered.
1: Which, you know, obviously everybody wants to think that they're a unique snowflake of, of greatness. And so it's tough when you kind of have an idea out there that WWN is getting this much and then your pro, pro, uh, promotion is getting this much. And it's being presented somewhat, I imagine, in a take it or leave it type of manner where – Flow Slam, for better or for worse, doesn't necessarily need all those small promotions. They would like them, so it's you know a larger basket to offer. But each individual member of that basket isn't necessarily a, a, a breaking point for Flow Slam for their offer that they're making. So how many people do we think Flow Slam was ever able
2: to sign up? According to what Vic's Bix- – Wrote in the fightful article, he said in the end, for the flow source, flow slam was up to just under 2,000. That was just before they did that price point change, where they changed it from a $20 per month price point to a $30 per month, and then oh, you get access to everything in flow sports as if you wanted it. Uh, so it looks like the peak was probably just under 2,000. Maybe it could, maybe it was a little higher for WrestleMania weekend. I would think that would be their peak. But you think about, it, you can take all the flow slam subscribers in the world, and you can just about fit them into Corkun Hall.
1: So why? What was the number that they thought Evolve was averaging as an IPay per view service before Flow Slam got involved? Five thousand buys, according to the Bix article. So WWN what, what told Flow. So the numbers that Flow Slam calculated, they thought they were going to, you know, inherit a service that was already being able to get maybe five thousand people to sign up and buy their IPay per views, and then right. they're going to offer this streaming service that's going to be a, a monthly fee. It's going to be running, you know, 60 shows plus these other events, and it's only going to be 20 bucks or 30 bucks, which is comparable or less than I think what WWN was charging for a lot of these events.
2: WWN would charge ten. It was it's 9.99 if you would buy like a day in advance. If you made a, a day of purchase, it goes up to 15. And, and, if you want, and if you want the VOD in addition to that, it's like five dollars extra. If you want the DVD and the VOD in addition to that, it's like ten dollars extra or something like that
1: so so a little bit more than what wwn was charging but in in a very similar bar, ballpark and if flow slime is thinking they're going to grow their service and it's going to start off small but it's going to be bigger by you know specifically by year two than WWN ever was, they would probably think I you know, that they have to get up to at least ten thousand people. Yeah. And I guess uh, by year is, two would be the lowest number. And here we're hearing them we're probably only at two thousand people after the end of year one.
2: Yeah. And I guess that the thought is okay, Evolve runs about, let's say, two events per month. So that's two events that maybe you would buy at a minimum of ten dollars each. So that's twenty bucks. So a a $20 price point, you know, you just pay $20 per month for Flow Slam. Oh, and then you get all this additional stuff. So you, you can kind of justify the, the $20 price point that way, I guess, even though when you compare it to WWE Network has set this bar that any wrestling uh, OTT service should be about $10 per month. And in fact, you've kind of got a, a lower value if you're not WWE because you're not the major league and you're not the, the thing that dominates the world. I do wonder if WWN...
1: And, of course, WWN did release a press release back to the media saying, we do not prefer to litigate cases in the media. It is clear that Flow Sports is attempting to use the press to create leverage in this dispute by spreading false, defamatory, and misleading statements about WWN. In reality, Flow Sports has wholly failed to honor its contractual obligation to promote WWN events and has been unable to successfully integrate WWN into its mismanaged and failing subscription streaming platform. At no time has WWN provided incorrect, false, or misleading information, and this lawsuit is nothing more than a transparent effort by Flow Sports to avoid its responsibility to WWN, its talent, and its fans. We are confident that this litigation will result will resolve, I assume, is what they mean, uh, favorably to WWN. So, I also wonder uh, if they're going to use some kind of argument that says something like, we didn't tell you we had 5,000 buys of every pay-per-view we said that 5,000 unique people have bought our pay-per-views in the last year or something of that nature where the average number is much lower but you know if you count unique you'll get much higher the same way if wwe counted unique people that have an email address that have signed up for a wwe network account you're in the millions of of accounts because we've seen such a high churn and we know that there's even a press release they put out one time where they talked about having more than, what, 2 million accounts or 3 million accounts that had been created at one point or another.
2: Even 5,000 unique throughout a year sounds high. The, the numbers that I had heard, and, and maybe Evolve had gotten more of a following once they had started getting more of a relationship with WWE. But the, the numbers that I heard maybe before that were in the low, maybe the mid-hundreds per event. Yeah. And so I 5,000 I mean, over a year unique sounds high and and one thing that you can
1: look at as an interesting metric is always like things like uh the the thumbs poll in the wrestling observer that sometimes can be an interesting correlator to how how many people are out there in this hardcore niche that are going out and and buying these sort of streaming events and i remember back in the day i did a look at you know number of thumbs that would come for different events and and try to see if that correlated to buys and the one thing I realized, is ever, I, does he ever publish that for Evolve events, though? Well, that's my point is, A, I don't think we ever saw much Evolve stuff, which I says I think something. Dave is watching Evolve for the most part no. anyway. And so there's that. And then B, what I realized when I did that study was that um, Dave's numbers for how many TNA buys they're doing was 100% correlated to the number of thumbs that showed up in his survey. And I was like, well, I don't know if he's really getting any data from anyone about how many people are buying it. As much as he's just saying, well, this event got twenty percent more response, so I'm going to guess twelve thousand instead of ten thousand. And I found that those were really strongly correlated to the numbers that Dave was publishing about what TNA buys were. So it, there, there is an idea that at least in Dave's mind, I know he has before tried to say, if the response goes up, and I'm a small, you know, niche hardcore site where people pay to see get wrestling content. Um, that it's going to be correlated to the number of buys. But again, if TNA is struggling to figure out whether they did 10,000, 12,000, 15,000, or 8,000 buys, we're now talking about a service that at best is probably doing a quarter of that and in reality might be only doing 1,000 or 1,500 buys, Um, which again tells you a little bit about the Twitter bubble chamber, right? Because... On our Twitter feeds, I'm sure both of us could find people that evolve, that ordered Evolve events regularly and watched Flow Slam regularly. But, you know, that says a lot about, you know, how insular the the
2: wrestling Twitter world can be. I've kind of been thinking about just considering this and seeing how Flow Slam is not a success. And I, I really wonder how much value there is left to squeeze out of indie wrestling. You know, it's this, I've, I was talking to, to someone last night who's an indie promoter and I was, he was asking me a bunch of questions about how, you know, how, how we need to make more money at this. What do you think? To be pessimistic, I kind of see wrestling as like, say you cut an orange open and you squeeze most of the juice out and that's WWE. And there's a little bit left there, but it's going to take a lot of work to get the rest of it out. And I don't know if it's worth it in terms of are you going to be able to make a profit to get what you want to get get out of this.
1: I like in your analogy, you're basically taking a pulpy mess yeah. and you're eviscerating it. And that evisceration is indie wrestling. It's very appropriate, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's there's something to say. I remember I, I, I dealt with this 15 years ago when I was working with indie promotion and I was trying to pitch them ideas of how to make more money at their events. Oh. And, you know, you there the models that are out there, there's the ticket seller model mm-hmm. where basically you say – You know, let's find guys that are willing to sell tickets, and then we'll give them a kickback on the tickets they sell, and then that will motivate them to sell more and more, and they'll hustle up their friends and family because then it makes us successful in their mind. There's the the merchandising model, and I remember 15 years ago, I wrote up a little paper that I I distributed, and it was like, you know, let's try to get stickers and patches going, you know, things like that. And today, I would say – well, and I would even say we're seeing actually kind of the culmination of that now with, yeah. you know, you could argue that the successful indie acts right now have realized that the venue merchandise that they can sell is a huge portion of it. And it's a lot more than a T-shirt, right? So it's the uh, it's the patches, it's the hats, it's the other things that you can also come up with that people seem like they're interested in paying for. Buttons, and, bumper stickers. Yeah. Yep. And then, of course, at the time we were debating physical media. You know, do we want to be selling VHS tapes or or DVDs, and uh, is it worth it? And it's it's a huge question mark then, and even today, I'm at any of the indie events
2: you go to, do you still see people selling DVDs? Not really. Maybe a few years ago, I, I would see individual wrestlers would have their DVD comp, like the best of so and so, and and I've I've seen that sold a little bit. But I don't see very many, at least at the level that I wrestle at. I don't see very many um, wrestling promotions trying to to sell DVDs.
1: So, are wrestling promotions like the indie
2: event you went to yesterday? Were they recording their event for the sake of a hard cam monitor and for the sake of we're gonna be able to watch it later, the wrestlers? And it's the, the show that I was on last night. They just started doing TV, so they have a either half hour an hour TV show. So yeah, it was it was recorded, yeah
1: okay so i mean that's that's the interesting question with it all is is kind of like we live in this very interesting era where i think live does matter in the sense that getting people to where you are and having them be in the crowd it's a different experience and, and i go through this with improv all the time improv on video is awful it is just it's the worst and every improviser i know will tell you the same thing and so what you have to do is sell the live experience But at the same time, you have to record what you're doing because sometimes there will be a clip or a moment that will be really great and you can use that for promotional purposes. And then at the same time, if you want to get bigger, you oftentimes have to show video of what you've done to try to prove to people, here's my idea, here's it working, here's the audience reacting to it. And so you have to – you know, to get in festivals and things, a lot of times you have to submit video of yourself performing. And I
2: pity those people that have to watch those videos. I can't imagine what it's like but um i I, I think video is really important to if you got a wrestling event you want to get the video regardless even if you're not going to sell a a dvd or a vod because i because you can use those clips to put them on social media and and scatter clips of your show from from one show date to the next show date across social media to help promote your next event absolutely and so so just getting back to the idea here that I, I think the
1: lifeblood of promotions is still going to be in the live event experience because what you're selling them is the experience of seeing something that can never be recreated for them because they were there live and they're, it's being done for their sake and their performance. And the nice thing
2: about indie wrestling is you can sit pretty close because it's not a big arena.
1: Yeah, and, and you can interact. And, and again, I think watching in the crowd is is important because you feel when you feel like you're part of a larger crowd, you, you're more likely to enjoy it. Um, we, we have a thing at one of the theaters that says like, you know, people that sit closer to each other when they're reacting are going to feel like they're having a better time. And there's like psychological studies that say that. And I I feel that's the same idea with wrestling, which is why 200 people in a 2000 seat building feels bad because people are scattered versus 200 people or 150 people in a, 300-seat building feels incredible because it's like everybody is
2: here right now. We're in Reseda, and we're making this happen. Yeah. I think acoustics are really important, too. Like it's, it's it's harder to wrestle, I feel, in like a school gymnasium than it is in a, in a banquet hall with a lower ceiling because the, the, obviously the sound bounces off more, and then the fans get louder because the ceiling is lower, and they can hear each other more, and it becomes more contagious.
1: Tell me a little bit about the— History of Flow Slam and some of the managers and the, the personalities that we've seen associated with the brand coming and going over the
2: last year. Right. So, like, as we said, Flow Slam put out the press release saying they were launching the service in late October 2016. And it, it started with. Jeremy Botter is the managing editor, I believe was his title. We've been reminded on Twitter by Rover that Dave Meltzer uh, had Jeremy Botter on Wrestling Observer Live and Botter kind of blurted out that David helped him write the business plan.
1: And I I think we should clarify that because what I really strongly would challenge is I doubt Dave received any money as a consultant for Flow Slam. I imagine what happened is Botter came to him and said, I've got this investment you know, opportunity for a company I'm working for or that wants to work with me. And here's what I'm designing. What can we, what would you say is a good idea? And they, you know, they hashed it out. And maybe Dave did get paid some consulting service for that. And, you know, he should, right? It's like if someone comes to me and says, I, I want to do this, will you give me a whole bunch of knowledge for free? Is that
2: a conflict of interest to be accepted money for that?
1: Uh, I don't think so because I would say that Dave is, you know, Dave doing a consulting type gig isn't necessarily a conflict of interest. Uh, but maybe others do say that as a journalist, he can never accept money for consulting gig. And I I don't have any proof he did. You know, I, I don't know how he deals with that. I will say it's tough when, you know, what's the line, right? So if a stock analyst calls me and says they want to talk to me about WWE's model and they want to pay me for it. I don't know if that's a violation for me to say, sure, I'll talk to you and you're basically buying time for me to do it versus if a company does it for you. Maybe that is a conflict of interest because you could say there's a big difference between me covering a company and them paying me money versus me talking to a third party that is interested in covering the company. So maybe, maybe, but I, I again, I have no proof. I don't think anyone has any proof that Dave accepted money in a consulting service more than I would believe. Dave, just knowing Dave, uh, likes to be in the middle of people that are decision makers, and so if you come to him with an offer like this, he's probably going to have some time for you, and he'll share his thoughts on what he's learned, and maybe even share some contacts of people that you know. Hey, if you go talk to the young bucks, or you go talk to Jado or whoever this is going to get you somewhere and maybe sharing those contacts as well. But uh, it, it's an interesting question. But yes, he he very clearly said he had consulted with Dave
2: prior to launching this plan and selling it to Flow Sports. Mm-hmm. To go go on further in the timeline, about in November, Rob McCarron was hired to work at Flow Slam. And after just a few days, he quit. I think he got the impression that this was not the most stable place to, to work. So he left right away. Then in December, Jeremy Botter was fired or left, and Brent Brookhouse was brought in around January. Uh, he's another M- – so Jeremy Botter and, and Brent Brookhouse are – in the past, I believe they've been MMA writers. And, and then in August, we heard that uh, Vice President Toby Mergler was fired. And-,
1: and, and that was the time when I think we heard more and more rumblings from people that Flow Slam might be going down. Is that right around the time Toby was was let go? I remember that there was a lot more of the the people saying, "This is not a sign of a company that is investing in its people and is ready for the future. This is a sign of a company that is uh, frustrated with its
2: with its model right now and is probably cutting costs." It's you know almost every month I hear that somebody else who I know was was interviewed for a job or was considered or offered a job with with low sports. So, but that's the one criticism that I've made in the past is that it looks like they've got they got some MMA people, but they didn't really have somebody who is really well versed in wrestling and, and had a really great background of wrestling knowledge, especially indie wrestling knowledge. So, I so, I,
1: so hypothetically, if they did interview you, uh, what would you say would have been some of your ideas
2: that you would have pitched to them? Some of the ideas I might have pitched to them was were to get some more valuable wrestling brands and well, how do you define what a
1: valuable wrestling brand is? What hard data
2: could you possibly be using? Well, around December, I, I had done a favorability and familiarity survey polling basically hardcore wrestling fans on Twitter and Reddit about various wrestling promotions, indie wrestling, all, all wrestling promotions. Because so WWE was on there and TNA and New Japan and all that. And I found that progress was really hot. AEW is pretty hot, too, as far as the U.S. promotion. Rev Pro is really hot. Obviously, PWG and New Japan have a, a really strong following. And Bring of Honor has a lot of value as well. So I found that those promotions that I just mentioned roughly would be the ones that I would see the most value in. You know, the impression I get is that full slam already spent a lot of money and committed whatever $3 million over five years to WWN. And I don't think they were interested in committing more money. They wanted to make sure that they could make money on this investment alone before they got even further in the hole.
1: Which is really interesting. Uh, that do you think you were the first one to pitch those kind of ideas to them? Or do you think that a, uh,
2: uh, uh, hypothetically, uh, like, like, that no, it's fine. I mean, obviously not because they we heard rumors, and I believe that there there's some truth to them that they were going after Ring of Honor and PWG and all that, and they uh, couldn't get them, you know, because what for whatever reason, I mean, Ring, Ring of Honor decided to stay with their old school model of doing pay per view and doing TV, and they didn't want to go live with them, and PWG didn't want to move away from doing their DVDs. So, and it's interesting too with the idea being that.
1: The company invested in something that they probably thought they, you know, minimum we're going to do 5,000 subscribers and they're looking at 2,000. And so I'm sure that soured them very quickly on the idea of saying, well, everyone else says that I can get this and it's going to be worth that. And they thought about the proportionality of what they had to spend, right? So if you're spending – essentially if you're spending – again, let's go back to that 400 Thousand number that I've, I've kind of thrown out there as a possible number for what they got in the first year to get 2,000 subscribers um, Just on a monthly basis at what 20 bucks a
2: month, let's say and remember They're also offering 150 for a year like that's what I did I when the service launched shortly after it launched I, I, I paid $150 to have it for the full year which averages out to 1250 per month
1: yeah, so somewhere between they're paying basically somewhere around ten dollars to get a subscriber right now, and so if you are kind of another service and you're saying oh I'm going to deliver you sixty thousand subscribers like new Japan has then whew, yeah you, you know you're talking about a thirty fold increase in the almost cost of what it would you'd have to pay so now you're 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 talking about numbers that are almost higher than what I think uh, New Japan is getting in revenue today period uh, so i I can see why that they they would quickly sour, you know, if they thought evolve was a low-hanging fruit that was going to deliver a baseline number and then you have these other things that are are logarithmically higher costs and you you don't even have a clue whether or not it's going to hit with the marketplace. So, I I'm I'm shocked that uh, I think Flowslam was as low as, as they're they're suggesting, but I'm not. So, when you look at kind of the Google trends and other information that you saw in the past, did you think you would have guessed that number around two
2: thousand? I haven't given it enough thought, but we have looked at similar web uh, traffic estimates, and we saw evidence there that suggested Flow Slam was not even doing as well as Demand Progress, and in fact, it looked like made it look like Demand Progress was relatively successful. Uh, we let's see. In July, there's we have traffic estimates for Flow Slam of about sixty three thousand and that's that's less than half of d d t universe it's less than it's about half of demand progress it's, so and, it's, it's I' competitive mean, six, with the high spots wrestling network
1: interesting so sixty three thousand just kind of interesting divide that by thirty days that's two thousand a day interesting you know number that we go back to here uh not that i I think that that's necessarily how the math would work because I would imagine like There's all others peaks, yeah yeah streaming services it's really driven around um, the peaks and the valleys so but this lawsuit it sounds like uh, wWN is either going to counter sue or try to um, at least uh, like, what are they
2: going to counter sue for because are they going to claim that full sports didn't do their job in promoting them I would guess breach of contract
1: basically saying that you know we signed a contract that you would pay me these fees and you have stopped paying me these fees. Or you, you, we signed a contract that you would pay me these fees and you'd promote my event. And as we saw, right now it looks like right now Flow Slam is refusing to uh, broadcast the Evolve event. And uh, Gabe on Twitter specifically said those exact words. We apologize, but it is their decision. Contact them for the consumer issues. And then uh, it sounds like he was promising to get the show on WWNlive.com.
2: So that's the next chapter of the story on Friday, which is yesterday to us. Uh, we heard from – I believe it's from Gabe – Gabe, first, that Flow Slam has decided to not air the Evolve show on that night, which they were supposed to air live. It was Evolve 92 or 93. And uh, they were announcing that they were going to try to get in on WN as soon as possible. So they, and apparently they did. I I didn't see it. Um, I wasn't home. But they were offering the Evolve event through WN Live. Oh, for $10 as is, is usual, but oh, you get $5 off if you can show us that you're a Flow Slam subscriber. So it's like, all right, I paid the $20 or, or whatever it is, 150 for a year for this service to get these Evolve events, but now to watch the Evolve event, I still have to pay an additional $5. So, and, and as far as a, a PR move for, for both of these entities, uh, Flow Slam, by refusing to, to air the WN event, I think created a customer service nightmare for at least for the wrestling fans. So I, I see it as like they just must, must not care. They must be really decided on getting out of wrestling, which is what we've heard. Because you've you've basically buried yourself to the wrestling fans by doing this because you've got wrestling fans paying their subscription fees. And now you've just basically decided you're going to no longer offer the vast majority of what you were offering. So they must be all done with pro wrestling.
1: Yes. Or they're I, just I being
2: would... extremely reckless. <laughs>
1: Well, I would just say, I mean, what's interesting is go back to the, the the Dish Network fights with WWE in the early 2000s. You would see them pulling pay-per-views off, sometimes really big pay-per-views. And, you know, this is when WWE was – or WWF was super hot and – or at least coming off of a super hot period. And yet they were still willing to forego the revenue that they would get on those pay-per-views. Um, for their fans because they were in such a large revenue fight. So there are times that people, you know, draw a very hard line in the sand, and they forego revenue for a short period of time and risk
2: great um, displeasure from their fans. Yeah, like, uh, I guess the, just difference, the to, difference in that case is DirecTV doesn't already have its customers' money for the product that they purchased that they're no longer going to provide for them. Yeah, no, that's true. That is true. I just mean I have seen people.
1: What you could argue is not act in their best interest, but also take a scorched earth approach, right? Where they just say we're going to just cut off this channel, and you know we'll come to terms after a few days of us, you know, getting angry tweets and emails. But we we have also seen two other things. Number one, we've seen Flow Sports cut back on other services. People called out. Uh, there was one called Flow Climbing, and there was another one called Flow Ko, which was about fighting games. And, you know, they, they went in that space, they tried to play around in it, they either lack the content or the interest, and they pulled back, right? So we we have seen them create kind of other verticals before, and give up on them. So the idea that Flow Slam might close, that's not unfeasible. The second part being, if you think about how much money they're paying WWN, you know, again, if we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, and there's a possibility in this lawsuit that they can recoup that. You know, even 50 percent of that, let's say, to you know how many events it's going to take them of subscribers and whatnot to get two hundred thousand dollars from two thousand people. So in their mind, it's probably just better to fight this legal battle and clean up their balance sheet with uh, uh, this pending action than it is for them to actually promote wrestling events, like you said. So there's that. And then it sounded like some people were even saying that um, when they tried to drop Flow Slam, they're already getting uh, offers to discount their,
2: their subscription fees. Is that correct? Yeah. So someone who's on a monthly uh, subscription DM'd me and, and showed me a screenshot of as soon as you cancel, you get offered. You can resume your subscription and save 20 percent off. And then I, I went in and just to, to see what was going to happen, and it looks like they're probably not going to run Evolve ever again anyway. So I just went in and canceled my subscription, which is a yearly subscription anyway, so I get it until the day that uh, that I originally bought it or whatever. And it even offered me a 20% discount to resume.
1: The- Did you know that if you go to flowslam.tv slash signup uh, right now, like right under the sign up thing, says, why join Flow Pro? And the very first thing they advertise is live streams of WWN properties, including Evolve, Shine, Full Impact Pro and WWN Super Show. So it's interesting that like today, literally, if you go to sign up, the first thing it will say it is um, advertising for you is, in fact, WWN still. Yeah. So they haven't they haven't, you know, cleansed their website yet. Of all the things and same thing when you go to the very top of the page on the left side when it says live wrestling the three things it mentions is WWN live properties of evolve shine FIP and WWN super show the four things so it's pretty clear that they are um, they're not they're not in a place here where the left hand and the right hand are 100% synced because they haven't scrubbed the website and tried to say this doesn't exist anymore. They're still in a place of just saying this is a, a
2: dispute between us. So I do wonder if. Um, and there, you is, know, there is at least a, a in their statement where if you go to full TV right now and you click on the first story that they have up there, it, it explains that WN events will no longer be available on flow slam. And it, and it does say at the, in the last sentence here that if you'd like a refund, you can email us at this address. There's screenshots floating around that 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 sentence about refunds had disappeared, but it is, as I look at the website right now, it is it is on there, uh, about you know, giving you information about how to request a refund.
1: So it, the possibility being that, you know, they're monitoring some of these things and, and they're adjusting their language and then maybe
2: hearing feedback and switching it back immediately. Um, so like overall, this is kind of a customer service nightmare. So I, I don't think if WN reacted much better in that they're charging people $5 for something they have already paid for it, it would probably be a better PR move if they just said, if you can show us proof of your Flow Slam subscription, we'll give it to you for free. Uh, Powerbomb TV actually responded by saying, if you can show us proof of your Flow Slam subscription, we will give you six months of Powerbomb.tv for free.
1: And it also makes me wonder if it puts them in a strange Jeopardy place where if they make money off of people buying the WWN show through their service, and that was revenue that Flow Slam can then say that revenue should have gone to us because we bought the rights to your shows and the fact that you're basically trying to double sell these things. We don't have the exclusive rights anymore. You know, that's that's what we paid for was the library and the exclusive rights. And that's actually one thing I should add. They also paid for the library in this. So while while they we think of it much more as number of subscribers for these shows that they're getting they also bought this huge back catalog and made that available as an on-demand showing um in what we assumed at the time would be perpetuity uh, the ability to to access and you know watch
2: Dean Ambrose and Dragon Gate USA and things like that right right i'm looking at the the library to see if the library is still available style metal let's see evolve i don't know if you can still watch the back catalog yeah, that would be what I'd be curious about is
1: whether you can watch the catalog of shows that came before Flow Slam ever began broadcasting. But yeah, it's it's a fascinating um, little lawsuit. It, it, like I said, it took about a week for it to hit the wrestling media. It's in a Texas court right now. I do wonder if it will be moved to district court at some time where they'll say it's more than a million dollars. It's between two parties that are in different states because WWN, I'm going to assume, is a um, – Probably a Pennsylvania-incorporated company, but I I would actually have to check to see where they're incorporated. It says so uh, in the complaint, doesn't it? I am looking now. Let's see what it says. Full sports uh, WN is a Florida corporation. Florida, okay. And that makes sense, too. That that would be the other place I would have expected them to incorporate. This so was, This
2: is interesting in the, the complaint. It says, defendant WN is a Florida corporation. WN may be served with, with process by serving its registered agent, Catherine A. Hewitt. Do we know who Catherine A. Hewitt is? No, I'm going to guess it's lawyers a lawyer or okay. a— or lawyer
1: or a holding company of registrations for for them. The, sometimes
2: the, it, the, the the statement that they got got out there was from a different lawyer. I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, but sometimes what happens is, is they might be the person who registered their company as an LLC, mm-hmm. and they might be like the holding company that then is in charge of you know going to the Secretary of State every year and re-registering them. A lot of a lot of these companies use kind of a a shell person whose job it is is just to. Kind of deal with all those registrations and that would be the person you get serviced, but it would, it goes to the company eventually, you know, but, uh, I, I, but again, I, I wonder if this will go federal at some point, um, just because it's more than a million dollars and it's between two companies that are located in different States. And, um, though it is a contractual. A fight rather than, you know, say like the, the Titus O'Neill thing where it's between a, two two uh,
2: individuals and they don't have a contractual relationship. It does appear to so, be a, an accountant or a tax preparer named Catherine Hewitt in Tampa, Florida. Well, there we go. Um,
1: so it, it's a, a fascinating little story. I do wonder if the news had not gotten out whether or not. They would have canceled the Evolve show this This week uh, from being on Flow Slow Sports yeah. or Flow Slam Because I do think that some of the Press kind of Drove everybody into hyperdrive Of of reacting to This and speaking about it and of course There was the tweet from Gabe Which just It, it, it boggles the mind in some ways that it,
2: it, it happened do you want to talk about that Where Gabe says that Flow Slam is refusing To broadcast tonight's Evolve event
1: no, where he, he uh, advertised tickets for the show.
2: I don't know what tweet you're talking about.
1: Oh, so Gabe tweeted out that, uh, you know, you're interested in buying tickets to see the show. And then instead of tweeting the link to twi- Oh, I know tickets, what you're talking about. Yeah, go on. <laughs> he he tweeted a link to the Fightful story that was published by David Bixen's fan about Flow Slam suing a ball.
2: He thought he had something else in his
1: clipboard than he did. And so that was that was kind of comical. Uh, To be really honest, is I I think and then as Bix pointed out, people were very surprised that no one that it did not go down for several minutes that, you know, someone didn't say, hey, by the way, you just tweeted out a link to a lawsuit, not to your event promotion. So uh, kind of a comedy of errors, the sort of thing that uh, in the past we would have said TNA would do Uh, kind of like when I think TNA was like Dixie Carter was like retweeting people who were saying terrible things about her. Things like that or Hulk Hogan has done that too in the past. Hulk
2: Hogan's re- retweeted someone who's, you know, subtly trolling him about, you know, racism or something like that. Yeah, so it's uh it's it's
1: it's comical just because y- you don't expect to see someone do that and you can think of lots of examples like when I go and look at all these patent filings or I'm sorry, trademark filings, you always have to s- submit a specimen. And so when you submit a specimen, what you have to do is show uh usually a if it's like for entertainment services by a wrestler, what they use is just a picture from a, uh, a match on the WWE.com site where they're saying so-and-so fought so-and-so. And, you know, it's a picture, a screenshot of, of the video of the match. And so they take a picture of their browser. And so I'm always amused to see kind of, you know, what's on the browser history or next to the browser that maybe is included in the screenshot. What other tabs we got and going on here? Exactly. Or like, what are the, um, the bookmarks at the top of the page that, you know, they're, they're, they have on there. And, and rarely do they, is there really exciting things? Um, if you go back to a lot of the older Clips. That's when you find more of the the fun things when you know less people were looking at this, and so every now and then it will be a picture of of the lawyer's desk, and it will just have like European calendars and like ra- random pay, you know schedule for the day and just all the stuff, and they're try- trying to take a picture of one object on their desk, but obviously all the other objects are still in the screenshot. Um, famously, uh, in the Pen and Teller uh, Teller of Pen and Teller, uh, at one point he trademarked a. Using kind of playwright law, he trademarked a magic trick because you can't really trademark secrets, but what you can trademark is basically the script of a play, right? Or copyright, I should say. You can copyright it, and so he copyrighted a a very famous um, rose trick that he does, where he cuts basically uh, picture. Uh, it's a shadow play thing where he's basically attacking a shadow and then as it happens, an object in real life begins to kind of fade and crumble. And it's it's a, a melodrama, kind of a, a silent little tableau that he does. And it's really interesting, but um somebody basically in Belgium published a knockoff of the trick and he was trying to stop them from publishing this trick. And so they go back and forth, and then in the specimen filings of him kind of trying to say, here's the YouTube video. What was clipped there, there was a whole bunch of stuff in the browser history behind it that was included, and this guy jumped on it, the guy that he was suing, and basically just went down a long path of trying to say, well, that stuff in the browser history was trying to defame me Um, because essentially it was pornography in the background (laughs) of the browser history. And basically the guy was like, you're trying to say that I'm into gay porn and all this other stuff. And it was really bizarre because that obviously had nothing to do with what the lawsuit was about, but it was somebody freaking out over this and kind of – I won't I, – it's hard to say whether they were grasping at straws, there was an English barrier, or whether they were just like you know, kind of delusional in themselves. But it was funny to see this like lawsuit just take a crazy left turn suddenly, it has nothing to do with magic tricks, and now it's arguing over whether gay porn in a specimen – uh filing in a lawsuit was in fact meant to be a a dig at the the guy that you're suing uh so it was so every now and then i i don't even remember how i got on this (laughs) tangent but um yeah i'm always fascinated by you know what's behind the scenes uh when people are doing this and i i guess it kind of reminded me of that when gabe you know kind of showed his hand that he had been reading bix's article clearly of course (laughs)
2: I mean, overall, this does seem like a, a pretty big disaster for, for Flow Slam and for WN and for in, indie wrestling as a whole. I mean, we, we saw I, there's a, a Joshua Gavin, who is a, apparently a former WN worker, made, made this very uh, defiant tweet saying, oh, yeah, and yes, and I'm the one who told Bixit how WN wanted to cook the numbers. Bang, bang. Maybe don't F over people who know secrets. And then, he, and of course, he ended with a middle finger emoji. I, I wonder and this is something that the, the voice of wrestling twitter brought up is you know i mean look at flow sports they, they managed to make all these small niche sports that like almost nobody cares about they managed to make a, a lot of them apparently work just by going by how long they've been around for but they couldn't make pro wrestling work and i wonder is that just because pro wrestling is just such a carny business is it just the culture of pro wrestling is just so ugly that it's hard to get get anybody to do stable business or is it because pro wrestling in, in some ways is sort of intrinsically difficult to promote. It requires a special knowledge set that not everybody has, and it presents a situation where people who don't know pro wrestling well are prone to make a lot of mistakes and not promote it well. Or is it both? I, I would guess it's probably both. But
1: Well, and let's look at the model that Flow Sports has. So Flow Sports, the, the story that they tell, it's, you know, I think these brothers that they really wanted to watch. Was yeah, it collegiate wrestling? The, yeah, wrestling. And... They really wanted to watch collegiate wrestling, and then they suddenly realized it was really hard to follow collegiate wrestling on a live stream if they weren't you know, one of the very largest universities. And so they basically set out to set up a streaming service so that people that wanted to watch that sort of stuff would be able to pay money and see it. And then over time, they expanded to lots of different – everything from grappling tournaments to track and field events to marching band competitions – And just, you know, saying there's niche audiences that are being underserved in their desire to find things and that it's not necessarily about, you know, having NFL. But if you have the right people, people want to search it out and get it. And I think the challenge with that is that you're switching sometimes from a fan of a sport model to a model that's much more like saying I have sitcoms. Well, that doesn't interest me just because I like Seinfeld. That doesn't not mean I like the idea of sitcoms. And I think pro wrestling is something that is much more. Um, it's it's a large title that doesn't necessarily everyone doesn't love pro wrestling. Everybody loves their type of pro wrestling that they like, and so it's very hard to sell that. Versus, you're either selling. I let you see this swimming event at this university you care about. I let you see this shot put event with your daughter performing in it. You know, those are really clear things that are easy to market. Versus. I, I'm selling you a service based on a genre and I don't really have a good definition of whether or not you're a person who likes that genre. And so you're right, there's a lot of carny involved in it. Um at the same time, we don't know flow sports books. We know Flow Sports gets um rounds of funding right now and they're doing investment rounds. And in fact, as been pointed out, I remember Semper Vivi brought this up the other day again. WWE specifically invested five million dollars in One, Flow Slam. One million I'm sorry, Flow Sports. million, thank you, $1 million in in Flow Sports and when they were doing a round of funding. And so we don't know if Flow Sports is even profitable because a lot of times these services, we've seen it with all kinds of streaming services, that they run at a deficit while they get investor money in. And maybe they get to the point where they can be uh, bought by a larger entity and they can cash out. And that's where I was going, which is this new ESPN over-the-top service that they've announced is desperate for content. Right. It's it's a service that is basically trying to say we want to not partner up with other people. We want to start our own streaming service. And at the same time, we don't have the digital rights to everything that we have the television rights to. So we can't just necessarily mirror the same programs that we have on television and bring them to our digital platform. So if you are someone like Flow Sports, this is a godsend in my mind, because this is your cash out opportunity and if you're an investor, this is a cash-out opportunity because you have a major media conglomerate with a whole lot of money that is looking for a streaming content-type uh, library to access plus whatever else they can get. To me, it's a very natural fit, and maybe now I'm sounding like one of those WWE investors that you know kind of creates this, this fantasy booking where I, I would think this is one of the paths for Flow uh, Flo Sports to go. Flow Slam does not fit well in that model because, yeah, they could get on the ESPN OTT service, but I don't feel like that is the idea of what ESPN OTT wants to associate itself with. They want to associate themselves with wrestling when it's WWE because it gets eyeballs. They are not interested in wrestling, period. They're interested in the eyeballs that a company like WWE delivers. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see you know, an acquisition down the line of ESPN taking over Flow Sports, and that's the way that the service ultimately becomes profitable. What I don't see necessarily is a path to profitability with this Flow Slam service, which is unfortunate because I think it's great when a company branches out and, you know, kind of tries to create a marketplace for things that interest me and interest people I know. But the fact that I never felt the need to invest in this service – uh, says a lot about, you know, putting your money where your mouth is, is a lot harder than people realize. And streaming services are much tougher. And and when you look at it through this lens, WWE looks like it is the gold standard, right? Because it, we, we talk sometimes about it with gloom and doom, but getting 1.5, 1.6 million people to sign up. And then, you know, you go to like the next wrestling service and they're fighting around 60 to 80,000. And then you go down the chain, and suddenly you have this other US based service that's getting maybe less than 5,000, probably more like 2,000. Good God, a million, yeah. 1.6 million. It, it just blows the mind at how much larger that operation and that scale and that ability and leverage that they have is. So it, it's funny that, you know, FlowSlam. Literally is in the margin of error for WWE probably in their
2: daily count
1: of subscribers. do you think about that, they, they always do
2: these projections and within one you know, within 2%, right? And 2% of 1.5 million is is what, Mookie? <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, what, uh, 32,000 or something?
2: Yeah, yeah. so thirty
1: thousand so multiples of
2: low slam subscriber base.
1: So I, I do wonder, too, if, you know, if there's an exit strategy here where Flow Slam uh, wins versus WWN, WWN, you know, somehow tries to shield themselves and Flow Slam in some way tries to just, you know, exit with the uh, library. I would be fascinated if they in some way were able to actually sell the library to WWE. I doubt it. I really do. Unless they won the le- legislation Lit- to uh, to litigation, thank you, to actually – you know, win the rights to this stuff, I doubt it because I always assumed with this the way this uh evolve deal was written is that basically they had the rights to air it, but they don't get the ownership of the library. So unless WWN in in the end basically capitulates and gives them back the library, which I doubt they even want, uh what would be fascinating to see is WWE, will they end up with all of this footage in the end um at some kind of rock bottom price just because they know that Evolves in trouble. I don't see WWE swooping in to be Evolves savior in this unless they're a peacemaker, you know, like something where they're just trying to ab- acquire everything and make it go away really quickly for a very low because cost. But sort of I don't the see them swooping in, in to in, fight in them both
2: of these businesses, right? They have some sort of relationship with WWN and they have a million dollar investment in Flow Sports. Um I mean, are, are you saying, could you see a, a resolution where where even as a result of this complaint or lawsuit that Flow Sports ends up owning the library of, of WWN? Because the, when I when I first read this complaint, I, I sent you a message saying, like, I mean, I don't understand legal things as, as well as a lawyer or even as well as you do. That it, it look, this looks like to me, like, maybe this is a, could be an existential threat to, to WWN. I mean, they're suing them for over a million dollars. Uh it seems plausible that they might have uh, exaggerated numbers. So, I don't, what, what do you think of that?
1: I think it is a, a true opportunity that WWN might not exist in the form that it is today. Um, how they deal with that library, I don't know. I, mean, could, could like, I un, don't know whether that, that becomes this, lawsuit asset. This results
2: in, in Flow Sports owning the library, and then Flow Sports can just sell it to WWE.
1: I could see... You know, I, I don't know bankruptcy law well enough to, to get very deep on it, but I could see kind of an ECW type situation where you'd say we have creditors of this much. We have uh, assets of this much. One exceeds the other. We're filing for bankruptcy. And in that, then there's ba- basically a, you know, how do we resolve that bankruptcy suit? And what happens a lot of times with that is that you fire sell assets, right? That's what Gawker had to do. And, you know, people step in to buy different assets and then the creditors get their money. And you could see in that situation, depending on where – what kind of creditors are out there, who would get highest billing. And so it would be interesting to say I would guess that in this case, Flow Sports would probably be the number one creditor because I would guess that they're giving them – you know, that they owe them the most money so they're the top standing one. But we don't know what exactly the relationship is between WWE and WWN. So it's always possible that there is also a creditor relationship there, um, and they would also so have standing. But that WWE yeah. has actually
2: given WN money.
1: Well, I think it's clear that there's some kind of a working relationship, and I don't think that those working relationships evolve for uh, no pun intended for zero dollars. I, I think that there's a value that WWE has given to WWN of some sort, whether it is a a direct or indirect subsidy, health right? development, if nothing else, and the, yeah and and we've seen on on you know the bracketology specials and things like that they're using footage from Shine they're using footage from Evolve to advertise NXT they, personalities they were using right they're
2: using footage from Shimmer which is not a WWE property I don't bl- I don't I don't believe oh, they're using you. Shine footage You are correct you are correct
1: I was that's thinking that's of true. Shimmer but um it, but they have used Evolve pictures and, and footage yeah. before uh, on on television so I I do wonder if there's that element of you know when you say footage courtesy of blank and all these things, the the ECW model in the early '90s and and kind of proved to us that there are cases where a company will give developmental dollars to another asset to in order to kind of encourage you know some kind of beneficial relationship. What I don't believe is when we say WWE has that million dollar investment in Flow Sports, I don't know if that's in any way something where WWE really has that much leverage. I see that as a financial investment much in the same way a lot of um you know they're a very small stakeholder in a large company and yes they have a voice but i doubt that they're they have a very strong voice and i don't know if they have any kind of a direct impact voice i'm sure if they came to flow sports and said we would be happy to give you 10 million dollars or 20 million dollars and they really you know tease them out they could be they could have a huge voice but I don't think the investment they have today is anything more than a balance sheet obligation, much in the same way they have an investment in the Marvel on ice touring uh, you know, heroes promotion that Basil DeVito is on the board of directors of. The, the investment of.
2: that we're talking I, about is a this, this, A press release was put out by Flow Sports in August on August 15, 2016, saying they had got $21.1 million of funding, and WWE was named as one of the contributors to, to this funding. So and 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 we've learned and from and WWE's own WWE. documents that that investment is worth about a million dollars from WWE. Yes, because they they mentioned
1: that they invested
2: in a streaming service. So sports just in service. that round of funding, from, WWE is is a small minority. Yeah.
1: And and so th- my point just being, I it's not like I think that there's a real um, financial fiduciary relationship between the two where WWE is calling the shots behind the scenes. I see this as this is one of Berrios's He's given a, a you know, a, an investor fund and he's allowed to invest in strategic opportunities that he thinks are interesting. And people give him money and then he does that and then he hopes for rewards. Uh, You know, the tap out investment is bigger than the flow sports investment. And it's not like people spend a lot of time thinking about what is tap out doing tomorrow, though. I got to say, have you seen that tap out body spray? That sounds familiar. Wow. Have you tried yes, a new yet? body sprays? <laughs> maybe that maybe we'll give away a copy of Jericho's book and uh tap out body spray. Okay. Okay. I got tap out, merch, you know, in the, in the earlier inc- incarnation of the show, when it was in the indeed wrestling weekly or wrestling IWW, um, I did get tap out gear to really? give away on my show wow. at one. Yeah. I don't remember why I got it, but I did. Okay. Hit, so, hit them um, up again. you know, well, this was before they were owned by
2: WWE, but yes, uh, so, um,
1: but yeah, we've talked this WWN. And just real, real, real quick, I'll I'll one more speculation
2: down. that, so we know that Toby Mergler who's one of the VPs in the company, who I, I believe was responsible for making these deals, including the WWN deal. So he was fired in August and now looking back on this, th- does it add up that, well, maybe he was fired at least in part because he made this deal that turns out to be a bad deal because you would, you would think like if, if, if I can know that Evolve, before they had any W involvement, at least, was probably only doing a few hundred buys per show. If I can know that, why couldn't they know that? I think there's a strong argument to be said
1: that w- the people in that room did not pressure test this from a lot of different angles to say whether it's reasonable. I've been in companies where we've made investment decisions that are based on on wild hypothesis and wild projections, and, you know, you want to be optimistic and think things can happen, but at the same time, I think there's a strong level of cynicism that should have been in the room there to say, do we really think this company is doing 5,000 buys? And I'm sure at the time, you know, Flow Slam doesn't exist unless they start with something, right? Flow Slam doesn't want to get its foot in the door by and, – and no offense to to ESW, but by getting Empire State Wrestling on board, right? that that is not the foot in the door they need to have a bang and i'm sure they negotiated with a lot of people and there was no bang to have and evolve was one of those people and they thought this is enough right it's 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 the largest super indie we can get a hold of that um we can make a deal with and they have some streaming services in the library and everything else and this and and you know when it first launched you know people were even conflating it with wwe and roh where, you know, you, you would see Flow Slam. If you if you search for stories from that time, a lot of people were saying, it's going to have WWE and ROH and New Japan. And you're like, well, there's nothing in here that says and, that. And when the, when the website first
2: launched, just the Flow Slam vertical itself, there were WWE superstar profiles on there. There were, like, header background images that I believe included Cesaro. There were, like, WWE images. So you got the impression that they were going
1: – They were associated, yeah.
2: And I think this was something that was never really defined for them, that – they were were they going to become a, a wrestling media or news website? And they kind of have. They have their their podcasts where they talk about anything but their, the properties that they've they've aired. So there was I think there was a lot of questions about whether it was going to become this website that had other maybe written media on it and, and or not something besides just the events.
1: Yeah, like I think they had a live calendar. And they put in all their events that they were going to broadcast, but they also included like WWE there events. Other, there are other versions that
2: include some journalistic looking things. And, and Full Slam has done some articles and they've done documentaries uh, about evolved people and things like that. But it obviously hasn't turned into – a never turned into a wrestling news website or anything reflecting that.
1: But part of my, my belief is that if your botter or someone else in that room – and basically you're coming down to, I've pitched this idea and I got to get it to work. And yeah, they came back and they told me 5,000 and I said, can you send me a spreadsheet? And they sent me some data. I I grit down. I say, I'm going to make this work. I can, I can work with this. It's going to get hot. You know, who am I? You know, WWE is 1.6 million all i have to do is get 1% of their audience and i'm i'm golden and you know it's kind of that 3 to 4 million households argument that you'll hear george and michelle make right you got to you got to believe that there's so many unserviced people out there that they're just going to jump at this opportunity and if it worked out i'm going to look like a genius you know i'm going to look like i was a visionary and so I think it's very reasonable to say, hey, maybe they're only at 2,000 or 1,500, but when I offer
2: this better service, it's going to be 5,000, no problem. Look how many people on Twitter care about wrestling. And, and, I, th- and I think there and, was an argument to make that you're going to um, – because they're on our service now, we're going to snowball this into something bigger than it's ever been before. And we are a
1: combat sports oriented website, right? We have all this grappling and wrestling and UFC and WWE have this huge crossover. So why shouldn't combat submission sports have a huge crossover with professional wrestling? And, you know, you can see all these arguments kind of being laid out there. And if I am someone without skin in the game, I can totally make that argument. You can hire me in a second and I'll go and pitch that story to people. And you know what? That's that's the nature of optimism is that you can't just go with the sure thing. You have to go with the bet. So I I think it's easy to throw stones right now by being like they're idiots for believing that these numbers were real. But I also have to believe that there's a, a second version of this where Flow Slam never exists unless they do this deal. And at a certain point, you get so invested in what you're pitching and what you're creating that sometimes you, you forego – the best investment sense and you go towards the best optimism that you can come up with. So that's my defense of Flow Slam believing um, hypothetical numbers. And, you know, who knows, maybe all this time in their back pocket, they always said, well, we can always say they materially misrepresented themselves and we can sue them if they get it wrong. And we are a company that is not going to fold tomorrow. And they certainly don't have the leverage and the resources to out litigate us in this. So that's my Flow Sports, Flow Slam, WWN controversy, and uh, I want to give a lot of credit to Brandon here for digging through it all and thinking about it a lot this week because uh, this is not something that I subscribe to. So I I appreciate your insight and your your thoughts on
2: it. You know what they say, Mookie. Flow money, flow problems. I
0: like it. I like it.
2: This part of WrestleNomics Radio is brought to you by
1: Cameron's Highlander Grog, Kate Keurig Cups. If you enjoy the taste of coffee and you have a Keurig 2.0 machine, drink Highlander Grog by
2: Cameron's. I haven't gotten my invoice yet for uh, for that sponsorship.
1: Also, if you are, enjoy terrible drip coffee brought to you by the cheapest coffee that is available, try Brandon Howard
2: Thurston's Drip Coffee Maker. Are you, are you embezzling uh, ad, ad revenue from me here? Where's my, What, where's what my kind co- of? What kind of coffee do you drink in your drip coffee maker? I've got some sort of Wegman's brand coffee. It's good coffee. It's better than the coffee that, that they have at work. They have Folgers at work, and Folgers isn't good. But I have some sort of Wegman's coffee. Um, See,
1: you, you're you're saying Folgers isn't good. I would kill for Folgers. Really? We have an air we have an Aramark knockoff at work that comes in this brown beige bag that is uh it looks like it's pencil shavings or as we say it's it's the coffee grounds that they use to smuggle in drugs and then they're just desperate to use whatever they can
2: find it is it is junk i used to not care that much about the taste of coffee but i don't know i've developed a taste for it in the last year or two must must have come in with my neck beard or something
1: no no i think it came in with your wrestlenomics radio uh uh co-hosting as you as you sophisticated man there you go I think there should be more coffee sponsorships of professional wrestling.
2: And I'm sure we have a demographic that is of most intelligence and is high income. and They have really evolved expensive tastes. So if you're a sponsor out there that uh, has a really high priced product that you'd like to advertise on our show, just email us at WrestleNomics at com.
1: And I've thought a lot about what merchandising we could do for WrestleNomics, and coffee cups actually have been, yeah. like, the highest on my yeah. list. Coffee cups and fidget spinners are the two highest things yeah. right now. I've, I've heard fidget spinners are out of style now, but coffee but that, cups. That, that's that's perfect for WrestleNomics oh, fans. That's a good is, point. Stuff that's out of point. Well, as I pointed out, I bought a Laserdisc player
2: this week. That's right. Are you, have you yeah, been enjoying I, some Laserdisc movies?
1: I only have one, so I only oh. have one to enjoy. No, I have two now. Um, I have Clue. Like I mentioned last week that I had just bought, yeah. uh, I got a copy of Dune, the uh, the David Lynch version from the uh, – that is sealed actually, so I'm very excited about that. Wow. And then I have on my way, hopefully uh, arriving today, Big Trouble in Little China, the John Carpenter movie. Um, I'm also expecting a copy of Brazil to be coming through, yeah. th- though – Unfortunately, the, the Brazil, it's not the Criterion Collection version of Brazil, oh. so I'm going to have to order that separately. Yeah, Brazil is a good I, movie, as I recall. I also ordered Murder by Death, which is a Neil Simon play that fans of Clue um, probably haven't seen, but Eileen Brenner's in it, Peter Falk is in it, uh, Peter Sellers is in it. It's really um, – it, it's very tongue-in-cheek because it stars Truman Capote, of all people, but um, is is a fun spoof
2: of murder mysteries. So – I was watching a movie. I was taking a, a rare diversion from my usual wrestling consumption. And uh, I watched, this will come as probably no surprise for people who have read my article on, uh, I guess, the Jinder Mahal thing. But I was watching Do the Right Thing. And, you know, the, the character's name, main character's name, is in that movie? It's Mookie. It is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's one of the four Mookies people always ask me. Are you are you Mookie
1: because of Mookie Blaylock? Or are you Mookie because of uh, Mookie from Do the Right Thing? Are you Mookie because of Mookie? in uh fraggle rock was one of the characters oh really yeah it's like Mookie is more how they they pronounce it or or uh uh
2: mookie let's see there's there's the baseball player mookie and then there's the uh basketball player mookie i think yeah and i, I had so, watched do the right thing before but i hadn't remembered that that the character's yeah. name was mookie but yeah that's why now it, that i know someone who's named mookie it has much more meaning well it's fine i I would
1: joke I'm the white mookie usually because it's it's not a very uh it's more of a african American nickname than it is a a white guy nickname but um I want to give a quick shout out to our our patrons uh We have a lot of people who have been supporting us and have uh, been driving us towards this weekly goal. We said if we got uh fifty dollars a month in in patron uh, support on dot com slash russellnomics that we would go weekly and we are very close to that goal right now and so we want to give a big shout out we promise monthly shout outs to our patrons including lucas keith um new adam thanks a lot and then of course our uh, other strong supporters who are still keeping us alive with uh lf adam kirk or crick uh, Lavi, and Brian, we want to say thank you to all of all of you for um, supporting WrestleNomics Radio. We hope you're enjoying the documents we put together. Um, we could not do the show without these documents, and so if you want to synthesize the three hours of rambling into maybe 20 minutes of reading, all you have to do is support the show for a, a very low fee and you'll get access to the notes and you'll be able to actually see all the things that we're going to talk
2: about in a much more concise, clear, and interesting manner. So what we're saying is, if You don't want to listen to the show and you just want to, you know, give yourself a time saver of about three hours. Just give us $10 and then you'll be able to see the doc and be able to get it over with in about 15 minutes.
1: Not only that, if you are a wrestling writer looking for content for your copy and paste website. Uh, yeah. We put graphs in there. We put articles in there. And, you know, you could easily have a knockoff show right. or knockoff
2: column developed in 10 minutes just by looking through one of our, our documents like, here. If you'd like to scoop us and then perhaps get a cease and desist notice from me, then, uh, again, give us
1: $10. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that our, our legal knowledge on the WrestleNomics Radio is a little weak. So I think that cease and desist letter, like many of them, can actually be ignored. Uh, a, lot, a lot of times strongly worded legal letters are just exactly that. They're strongly worded legal letters and uh, the ramifications are nothing if you ignore them. But at least the threat will be out there. The threat will be out there. So thanks again to our patrons and uh, we appreciate everyone who has uh, been you know, encouraging us on this path here as we continue to grow. We've been looking at our, our, our numbers and uh, we've probably grown – 50%, I would say, on average monthly listeners since we started the show, wouldn't you say?
2: I think so, yeah. We got a, we yeah. got a, we got a big draw on Brandon
1: Howard in here, I guess.
2: Yeah, so yeah. Got, whether it's got a big Brandon time Thurston Howard
1: have, or Brandon Howard Thurston, he's a popular guy.
2: You, know, you got a big-time show, you need a big-time writer, what can I say?
1: On this week, the I always say, I would never know what we're going to talk about when the week ends. I think we, we'll never have enough content for a show. And out of the blue, WWE, like manna from heaven, I get a text from independent wrestler Mister um, um, B Shields. Uh, he sends me a a thing saying, "Hey, I just got a WWE survey, and uh, and it mentions conference calls." And I was like, "You are shitting me!" <laughs> and and so I I look into it. I start documenting it all, and I write it all down. And then, not two minutes later, I get the survey in my inbox. Yeah, and I was like hold yeah. the cow. I,
2: I think they sent this out to a lot of people because it I, I have a Gmail account and it sorts the promotion emails into that separate tab. So I people have been talking about this and I realized I went to my email and said Wait, maybe I got one too and I did. So maybe they sent it out to like every subscriber that they have.
1: You know, and you always hear from people saying, "I didn't get it," I didn't get it. But I think a lot of people did get it this time. There's been some other surveys that I felt like were not as widely distributed. And then, if you look on the WWE, I think it's called www.research.com is the the site they use. And if you if you search Google history on that, you'll find older surveys they've done. And sometimes they're you know specific, like they did one one time just about WWE Network for Mexican fans. And things like that. So they, they sometimes will really segment off a certain art uh, group. But this one was literally called the WWE Brainstorming Survey. Like it said that
2: in the title of when you would like look at the the website. Yeah. So and just before we get into the details about this, do you think there's anything to the timing of this survey to match the timing of is a reaction to the Global Wrestling Network talk about you know the, it, it launching?
1: I think you think so. I think that you well, wouldn't ask that leading
2: question I don't, th- question I don't strongly think it. so I don't know but it seems plausible.
1: I think it is plausible. I think I think very much that uh the things that should be understood is that the people that run these kind of surveys are not necessarily the same as the management that it own everything, right? We have seen these surveys go out and they've both included really bizarre promotions and bizarre misspellings and bizarre, you know, um uh inclusions of maybe even promotions that have been dead for a while and we've also seen them you know it's kind of seemed like they got their finger on the pulse and they understand what they're doing and i i would say that the the people that get empowered to send this out don't always seem to be the same as like necessarily the very top brass decision makers and so i think we've seen be surveys in the
2: past that asked questions about dragon's gate and things like that when they were clearly trying to refer to evolve but were confused yeah
1: And so to me, it just says that sometimes the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. Sometimes they have a good finger on the pulse. Sometimes some people in the group might have a finger on the pulse. I do think it is not coincidental that the GFW just tried to launch their streaming service and that WWE is coming out with something basically being like, look at all the things we could add to ours. I also don't think it's consequential that, you know, um, they continue to beat the drum for a premium tier. And that the possibility of 2018 having a premium tier, I would put at fifty-fifty odds right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I think it's it's better than fifty percent chance that WWE has launched some kind of a free, of a premium tier and possibly some kind of a free tier to the WWE network within the next eighteen months, if not within the next
2: twelve months. I, I would say um. there's a lot of price elasticity. Is that the right way to use this term? Obviously, I, I think you've been a big proponent of. The assertion that this 9.99 price is way too low, and there's a lot of a lot more value they can get out of this, and I think that's the way to do it. They can't. I think it would be a, a harder move to just raise the price outright, but it's it's a, a smoother move to add tiers.
1: Which is what this brainstorming survey looked at was was asking people a lot of their opinions on various ideas that could be pitched. And I I tweeted out right after this, um, I don't mean to sound egotistical, but it sounds like someone's been listening to WrestleNomics Radio. And what the reality of that is, is more that I don't know if anyone there is listening to what we're saying here, but I think the ideas that we've been pitching are very similar to the ideas that other industry experts or industry thinkers would be coming up with. And so there is a little bit of a confluence of – Some of the things that we're seeing here also line up a lot with things that I hear from people for feedback. And what I appreciated about the survey was that they gave so many options that you could start to say at least they're trying to force rank some of these ideas to compare one against the other. That said, feasibility, implementability, pricing, um, uh, market, uh, dynamics, uh, uh, all that stuff – Let's call this a brainstorming survey. This is a blue sky idea, and I don't think they can do a lot of the things that they're listing here. And I want to make that very clear in the front that this is not something where they're going to walk back and say, wow, everybody said that
2: they want X. Let's put that on the network tomorrow. Yeah. Think this think there's, is more there's going to be a lot of pressure tests. There's going to be a lot of technology limitations in some of these ideas. Uh, I, I am aware of a list of ideas that, that they were shown early, pretty early on in in the history of the service. And I think W's response to the, so the the list includes a lot of things that sound like the things that we're about to talk about. And I think one of their responses was that if we, yeah, we thought about a lot of these ideas and for, and for some of them, the technology just isn't there yet.
1: Exactly. So let's, let's list some of the ideas that they did specifically uh, uh, go through. So the first one was about um, essentially what other programming could they add Around wrestling, in my mind, uh, and so they they listed house shows. They listed Ring of Honor. They listed TNA, and they used the letters TNA. Um, it's it's they, called Impact this week, by the way. <laughs> uh, they listed original scripted comedies, and they and specific examples were Southpaw Regional Wrestling, WWE Superstar Rose, and the WWE version of The Office. And then they said other promotions, and they said historic and new programming. They. ICW Progress New Japan Regional Indie Promotions. So kind of kicking it off from the start, really going into the wrestling promotion area and again um putting putting something like Southpaw on there, which I think always has surprised me that it's not so much of a network thing. And it was more of a YouTube co-branded sponsored yeah. event that they did. And in some ways I would. I think, is one of the smartest things that they've done in a long time, personally. Yeah,
2: the WWE Network News website uh, broke a story the other day saying that Southpaw Regional Wrestling was coming to the network. But I, I read the story, and I, I took it as they're going to take the episodes that they've already aired and put on YouTube, and they'll be just available on the network. Not that it's going to become a, a new series. Yeah, Although, Who knows what will I, unfold?
1: For house shows, it says, for the first time ever, get a live ringside view of select WWE house shows. And then Ring of Honor, Historic and New Programming from Ring of Honor, TNA, Historic and New Programming from TNA slash Impact slash Global Force Wrestling. So they named all of them in the subheader, Uh, original scripted comedies like I described, and then other promotions like I described. And in in, in uh, their
2: naming of other promotions, they specifically name ICW Progress and New Japan, which I I would say is, yeah, they've got – they've got it right in terms of the the promotions that have the most buzz other than pwg but maybe pwg pwg doesn't have a relationship with the, with wwe and and maybe that kind of goes back to things triple h has said about how we want to work with people who are developing talent and and pwg is maybe doesn't fit that criteria uh but i do think and this is i'm being informed by the familiarity and favorability survey i did in december that progress on icw were pretty hot indies, and New Japan is obviously the number two promotion in the world. So.
1: And, and the last piece being that, as you and I have said, Berrios, out of uh, props to nothing, one time mentioned, wasn't yeah. it ICW in Progress? A few months ago, he gave a talk and said, we have deals with
2: ICW in Progress.
1: Yeah, and he's never clarified what that meant, but it's hard to believe he would pick those names out of a hat and of I, everything I for the we, a guy who doesn't really know
2: wrestling all that great. the day we discovered he said that, I think I emailed the uh, w- Public, public relations, media relations, and they didn't get back to me. Mm.
1: So I, I of those things, what what interests you of those things? Would you say you're extremely as interested fan, in all five of them? A fan,
2: I guess I'm interested in other promotions. That would, would be what adds the most value to me because I'm already an NGPW subscriber. I've just started to watch a little bit of progress. So that stuff has value to me more than Ring of Honor or TNA, more than the original series the W's version of the office. Um, and house shows would be interesting, but they would really have to change what they do with house shows, right? because a lot of their house shows on a, on a given weekend are very similar. They'll run the same matches and same finishes uh, on, on. So it's a select Saturday. Does it say select? It's a select house show. So I
1: I do think I would love house shows just for the pure sense of there's guys that are on the road that we don't see on television. And if I can go watch Luke Harper wrestle and they're given time, especially you too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, um, I I would love if they they did the the select house show for whoever superstars in their hometown, you know, and it's like this person's going to be the featured event in this this show. And
2: it's going to be interesting for that reason. Or if they they did more things like they're going to do this Starcade event in November, that would be an interesting show where they're going to have Rock and Roll Express and Ricky Steamboat involved in some capacity. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I, I think, you know, house shows would interest me just as a fan because there's there's people that, you know, you don't necessarily always see. And it would be fun to, you know, see a Mike Bennett match in WWE and it's not the cut down version of it. Um, and then Ring of Honor, of course, I think there's a lot of depth and opportunity there. I also think it's not in the pricing plan, honestly. Um, Ring of Honor is part of Sinclair. Sinclair has some pretty deep pockets. Uh, they're not necessarily in a place that I think they're going to shell out a way for WWE to
2: partner with them right now. There were rumors earlier, I think in this year, about the time that the Kevin Owens video was coming out or being produced, that Ring of Honor and WWE supposedly had some talks about their library, but nothing materialized. Uh, For the GFW thing,
1: did you say you're a subscriber to GFW's
2: web service? No, you you cannot be a subscriber yet. It's not yet offered. I'm a... I'm a subscriber to NGPW World, and I've recently started subscribing to Demand Progress. Got it. Okay.
1: So the GFW thing, um, I don't see enough depth there to buy it short of um, going to the Fight Network and just saying basically, you know, you're better with us than you are by yourself, and let's give you some money. Uh, But a lot of other things
2: going on with GFW. I I, I, I don't think that they would buy the library and include it in the network while Impact exists as a – wrestling promotion that they don't control because it would just give them exposure. Right. Which yeah. One, yeah. That's probably what want to do. Uh,
1: other promotions, like you mentioned, I think those are the right ones. Obviously that dream of new Japan. I honestly, I think WWE is the only one I can see making the deal with new Japan in some ways, because it, this involves kind of going at a very high level television station to WWE, because that's really who's the the person who's controlling a lot of the purse strings with De- with New Japan's library footage. And I, I think WWE being so much bigger, they're the only ones that, you know, would have the clout in a certain way to make that negotiation. Now, the way New Japan has been acting, I don't feel like they would want to make the deal. Even if it's it's cut off the nose to spite the face. Um, I don't get the feeling right now that they the want to be anyway. in bed. Would you say? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And then that other scripted comedies. Um, Just real quick on, like on, on these other
2: promotions. I think it, it presents this this dilemma for Vince McMahon where he's realizing that the, the media world is, is, is really spreading open in terms of it's giving wrestling fans more and more access to these wrestling promotions. And more and more of his wrestling fans are becoming more and more aware of these promotions. But yet at the same time, he doesn't want to give anybody else exposure. But he also wants to, to be the controller of all the stuff, you know.
1: And this goes back to the argument I was making a few weeks ago, which is right now when WWE is in a guaranteed television revenue generation model, that they are able to spend money to stop people from doing things, even if they don't have a plan of what to do with them. Right. Which is which so basically able describes to, the
2: UK situation where they exactly. basically shut down um, World of Sport, which, was, which did a pilot for ITV, which is a major station in the UK. And they signed up – they did their UK tournament in, in quick response to it, and they signed up – jr away from the commentary table and they have yet to start a uk weekly program like they it seemed like they were going to do uh and, and by the way a, a bix did an article for deadspin about uh, talking about the global wrestling network and in it he mentions that icw in progress already have deals uh to run their contents in some capacity at some point on the w network that's a great point
1: um We'll make sure we link that article as well in our uh, our notes on here. Um, the original scripted comedies, I think I feel the same way that most people feel, which is when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad. And I probably am less um, bearish on it than other people. I think some people really would bury this idea and say, I, I hate this idea. I don't want it at all. For me, I thought Southpaw was a real success. And I am fine with a company that spends money now in WWE Studios. If they reallocated all that money towards original comedy material that they want to put on the network, I'd be fine with that. Now, that said, it's not a moneymaker. It is not a revenue generation thing that usually makes it better for people. But I think there's a strong need to have a service that sometimes has some fluff on the edges to make it more palatable. Because I, when I go to the network, sometimes I'm in the mood to watch wrestling. Sometimes I'm in the mood to watch the Ed and Christian show. You know, sometimes I'm in the mood to watch a tournament like I want to have that variety. And sometimes I feel like I I want the circus mentality. And, And these these comedies are an interesting output because I think you have creative people that work on the teams here and it gives them an opportunity to do that. Now, maybe you could argue WWE wrestling has nothing to do with this. And that's why WWE is an entertainment brand. And this is part of their entertainment brand branding. Yeah, maybe they don't do the best job of it, but I would still rather see them swing and a miss and
2: then to give up
1: on it all together. Now, um, it reminds
2: me... We're looking at original scripted comedies and we're going to talk about original scripted dramas, but they should do an original scripted musical. I think that would seriously (laughs) get them excitement from the fans Uh, and and maybe some subs, maybe not, but it's going to drive minutes, minutes of viewing time, which is... Something that they're big on, and something that their corporate executives are bonused by,
1: you know. And, and someone and, and brought which up has to probably me. a
2: lot to do with subscriber retention. The more you watch this OTT service, the more time you spend watching the W network, the less likely you're going to be to cancel it.
1: Though, I mean, like uh, one of one of our friends, the show Rich T, brought up to me about CISO and how it was this original streaming comedy platform did a lot of original programming had really creative, really interesting people, and it still failed and and has, has pulled the plug on it. And I think that's an element there, which is it is tough to get people to pay for comedy and necessarily original stuff. And so I do think that, you know, you're, you're marketing a niche to a niche. And from a, a profitability standpoint, I don't know if it will be profitable. I think from a creative development standpoint, I think it is important because we're seeing the same thing with um, – like I've talked about in the past about – Amazon and Netflix going to creators and working directly with them in order to kind of foster them through their entire development and I think sometimes one of WWE's problems is that they're they're not necessarily fostering creative development year over year as much as sometimes they just try to randomly pay for talent and and what I mean by that is not the talent in the ring but I mean behind the scenes and I do think you have to foster people and, and give them an opportunity to grow and create things over time So I, I think there's an opportunity here And I think there's a lot of great wrestlers that might have their own creative instincts that that will be able to are be stoked you, by are it Are
2: you you have in mind writers?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think writers and developers
2: and and camera and and just all those things there's skills that can be developed And we hear about what a high turnover rate there are among writers and and some according to some things I was looking at On Glassdoor, which you can probably take with a grain of salt, but there were a a number of claims on reviews on Glassdoor about how there's a really high turnover rate just within W corporate itself.
1: Yeah. So I, I I just, I'm curious of whether there's an opportunity there to develop that kind of content, but I recognize it is probably not going to drive a lot of subscriptions. I think as a premium tier add on, there's some possibility though. Because I think what you're doing at that point is you're going to people that have already agreed to purchase and saying, would you pay more for blank? And I think that's a better argument than the person who says, I don't want to pay for this at all. And then you start saying, but what if I add this, this and this? It doesn't change their mind. If they're not interested in spending money, they don't want to spend money. And so there's a big difference between the people that don't spend money at all and the people that spend some money and you're trying to get them to spend more money. And I think that's where WWE has done well in the past is that they're very good at getting people that spend some money to spend more money.
2: Yeah, and, and I think the, the limitation on, on getting, those, getting more subscribers has a lot to do with the creative. That's another discussion.
1: Next tier of things they listed, uh, very interesting to me, original scripted dramas, wrestling-themed series inspired by wrestling's colorful and rich history such as WWE versions of Game of Thrones, tournaments – the second option new in-ring tournaments such as a pro-am style wwe versus nxt a lucha tournament a tag team tournament or a king slash queen of the ring tournament
2: A WWE special, versus nxt tournament
1: yeah mm-hmm. special live events i'll go through all five and then we'll we'll talk them through uh special one-time live event from unique locations around the world featuring an unexpected main event i'm thinking Starcade is is a good example of probably what they're pitching there yeah Local tournaments, tournaments that take place in your home country featuring local talent similar to WWE's UK tournament this year, which took place in England. And then the last one, TV 14 in-ring show, a new, a, a new in quotes, weekly version of ECW, extreme championship wrestling or other edgy new promotion rated TV 14. And that to me is a great example of saying why this is a brainstorming survey is this very much sounds to me like, you know, I'm, I'm spitballing you, right? I'm throwing it out at you, but I'm not even being really clear what the hell I'm pitching because that's very vague about is it a new incarnation of ECW? Is it about the way ECW felt to me? Is it about doing a TV-14 show? And why is new in quotes? So
2: very odd. Yeah. Um, I I think this does reflect something that fans say, right, that uh, TVPG is a thing you would read in a a reply or a comment at the end of an article or somewhere on Reddit. All the time. Is that uh, TVPG is killing it. I I hate this. It should go back to the attitude Era. Go back to TV-14. And I think the the effect that a lot of people are responding to when they say that stuff is, is just how scripted and how contrived a lot of the show feels as opposed to maybe how the Attitude Era felt more free and improvised. Additionally, like I
1: said, you're trying to force rank options. So even if you don't like the option, you know, even if the, the reality is I have corporate sponsors that generate this many millions of dollars a year. Your show would cost me this many millions of dollars a year and barely produce one-tenth
2: of that in revenue. I'm not going to do it. Be- because Even if, because the TV-14 would would exclude some sponsors who wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. Is that what you're saying, right? Is the
1: theory, yeah. Even if that's the reality, we put it on this list here so I can force rank it against other things. And that's the important thing of it is is that I don't think everything that they're listing here is an idea that they – Think is feasible and doable, I think some of it is to try to prove either naysayers wrong. So if people, you know, are saying, well, I heard from my niece that she doesn't like it because of blank, you would have some data to point to. Or it's to just kind of say, look at um, look at where it ranks. You know, when fans tell me this, yeah, we surveyed them and we found that this was the least of their concerns or the most of their concerns. And we hear you and we're changing our attitude, whatever it's going to be. So uh, it's fascinating. I think it's a weird five kind of piece to look at original scripted dramas. I have to go back to the fact he says WWE versions of Game of Thrones, Robert Ruth, uh, uh, Q1 call. Uh, I, I called out what what quarter it was. I think it was maybe even 2014 because uh, that would have been right after they launched. Yeah. And um, he, he basically said all WWE network needs is its own version of Game of Car Game of Thrones. Or a House of Cards, and it's going to be the next big hit. Yep. And um, so it's it's kind of funny to see the three years later this happen. Of course, we used to – I always think of those Braveheart spoofs that they did for Royal Rumble one year with Flair on the horse and whatnot when I think of the WWE Game of Thrones. I, and this was something I, I meant to bring up when we talked about the original scripted uh, comedies, which is – the one challenge you have when you cast your talent in this is the duality that they create when they're both a character on a television show, a character on your other TV show, and then a character in real life. That is very tough sometimes to feel like you're getting an authentic character from them. And so it's like, is The Miz a nice guy or a jerk? Because I see him doing PR stuff yeah. where he's, you know, reading to kids. Seems like he's a nice guy. I see him on my television show where he's cutting shoot promos (laughs) about how he's underappreciated. I feel for him. And then at the same time, I see him acting like a cowardly heel and I'm supposed to hate him. And so you do run into that challenge of am I supposed to take this person seriously or not if I'm seeing them both as an actor, as a wrestler and as a person. And so I do worry about that when we talk about
2: how do we make these shows work. Yeah. So maybe there's like there's three levels of reality there. Like there's the the real person who does the charity work. There's the kind of real person who's involved in pro wrestling angles and promos. And then there's the really fictional version who's involved in traditional scripted media. Yeah.
1: And it's it's tough because some of the reason you like certain actors is built on the brand that that actor then portrays. So. You know, people hate a lot of people in Game of Thrones and, and, because they and, don't like the
2: characters. And, and, that, and people way, those, love some
1: because they love the ca- the love the actors.
2: And, and, like and, and those three layers, by the way, is why I think pro wrestling is so different from from TV or sports, right? Where you don't have those three layers when you're just a, a TV star. You're just a fictional you and then the real you. And then in sports, you're just always the real you, whether you're on the field or talking to interviewers or, or going home. Although...
1: To a degree, I would argue the Kardashians have a duality to them, right? There's the television version of them, and I'm sure there's a real life version of them.
2: Fair enough. Reality I would, TV may be another good example.
1: I, I would also argue that today's sports athletes are being placed with this quandary. So, you know, when you're Colin Kaepernick yeah. and you're you're being asked to be a character, or not being asked to be a character—that's a bad way of putting it. When you're when you're being politically active, and then people are saying, "I want to judge you as a person," versus "I want to look at you as an athlete." And then there's also other characters in in sports all the time where, you know, you have Conor McGregor, uh, Conor McGregor or Dennis Rodman or something like that. And be like, I think there is a, a three levels to that person where you're seeing different versions of them. And, you know, you can even take some of them. They've become actors.
2: And I, 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 I would say that that's the exception. That's the exception where people start to say, this is like pro wrestling. Yeah, that's true. Or Maybe the president is like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good example. So, uh. Original
1: scripted dramas, I actually have a lot less um, affinity for the dramas than the com- comic, comedies, and I don't know if that's just because I am naturally someone who's attracted to those comedies. But I also feel like um, it's tough to sell the dramas unless it's more like the breaking ground type reality show
2: yeah, I have, drama. I have, I have trouble imagining what in an original scripted drama from W looked like that is genuinely a drama and not a parody. Like <laughs> W's version yeah. of Game of Thrones, how is that not a parody?
1: Yeah, that's true. Though, I mean, you could argue that stars does you know shows sometimes that are. I guess the idea would be that WWE gets all these scripts through WWE Studios, and they would become a force in Hollywood where they're taking these these creative ideas and then they're developing them into actual shows. And sometimes they're using actors from their show. You know, they're using actual performers from their roster as actors in these shows. But. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. And again, I think a lot of it gets into the closer they would get to Hollywood, the harder it's going to be to work in the model that they're used to working in, because they're used to working in a model where these are independent contractors and, you know, we own 100 percent of our rights. And then when they go into a more television, sub, you know, model, you, you get into much more complicated and distribution uh, and royalties and back end fees. And our on air talent are not members of any union. Yeah, SAG and all that. Yeah. So, so I don't see the dramas one doing well. I would see, imagine it would actually fare very poorly in this. But it's obviously, you know, if you're an investor and I say WWE is coming up with their own Game of Thrones, some of those might salivate at the idea. Others should roll their eyes if they really knew how much that, that cost for, for HBO to do it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, new, new tournaments like the Pro Am style, uh, Lucha tournament, Tag Team, King of the Ring, Queen of the Ween.
2: Sure. Yeah. Why not? And I think this, um, cruiserweight classic and uh the may young classic in the uk tournament all fit under this umbrella too
1: lucha tournament you know i would have the most concern with because it's the thing that they've shown that they struggle with the most is dealing with uh uh the brands where they aren't
2: english speakers yeah. and and they you they, know they've shown that they've had problems when they've brought in uh sincara or luis Arive and um uh, Cien, Alessandra, uh, Cien. Oh, and, and Grand Andrada. Metalik, Andrada, right? Cien Almas. and And Grand Metalique, they've under, underutilized. And, well, he was at least in the final of the Cruiserweight Classic, right? So. He was, and then kind of disappeared. And then, and then fell off the map. He was on Raw this week or last week, but yeah, he's been, yeah. He's been uh, a missing person. Uh, but no, I, I, I like it. Do
1: Again, do I think it drives a lot of subscribers? No. But do I think it could drive some subscribers to up their tier? Yes. Because I know for a fact this is the kind of programming that does appeal to me is that I like bite-sized programming where it's a, a contained thing. I enjoy that very much.
2: And, and as you said, this is maybe not going to create many new fans, but it's going to drive even more revenue out of the fans that they do have.
1: Yeah, special live events like we said, Starcade, or even going back to when they did the Toronto House Show, where you know uh, Lesnar fought, was it Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper, or yep. one of the two? And Dean Ambrose uh,
2: wrestled uh, Triple H for the title.
1: Yeah, so that that
2: absolutely and, uh, makes sense to Be- me. Beast in the East was a similar situation. The argument
1: I know Meltzer was making was they already do two pay per views a month, and so giving us more special live events doesn't make it better. And isn't necessarily going to drive more people, and and there's something to be said there. Is that we we it's not that we don't get enough special content in a month. I think what is lacking to me is sometimes the feel that something has a
2: gravitas that is different than a pay per view in a different way that is kind of fun. They did an MSG show too. That was a network special, but I believe it was main evented by Big Show and Lesnar.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, local tournaments like the UK tournament. I think that's an easy one to pitch without a lot of clarity of what that's supposed to mean because it's not like there's countries all over the world that they can get enough talent from to do this with. And it's not like they have enough subscribers in other countries to make it worthwhile. So then the next thing you get would be like are you would you do regional tournaments like this is the best of southern pro wrestling. This is the best of Midwest pro wrestling. and Maybe there's a market there. But to me, there's just – you only have maybe seven markets in the world that you could do this with Japan, UK – uh, Germany, uh, the Northeast, the Southeast, the the Midwest, the West Coast, and maybe you could make it like the May Young Classic, where you bring in a lot of people that aren't signed, and you're basically doing a tournament where you're trying to basically, you know, get people interested in the winner of that tournament, and you get new talent that
2: way. And so hey, the most important prospects to me, as a as least as a newsreader, would be a Japan tournament or an Asia tournament. They would probably make it because they would probably want to include uh, Chinese and uh, Indian wrestlers in that. Or they could do a, a Mexican tournament as well, notwithstanding the the problems that we just talked about where they've had trouble developing Mexican talent
1: exactly. I think the challenge would be scouting the talent and then producing it in the in the um the home country. I think the cost would be very high in some cases uh so it, it would be intriguing to see if they could do it
2: and i I had heard that the w u k tournament uh itself as as these two shows even even with the tickets they sold, were not profitable shows. Exactly. That's
1: where I I get concerned is that, you know, now we're talking about flying to Japan and running a show. That's not cheap. And even if you're going to get local talent, that's still – WWE doesn't do well. The further WWE gets from their home base, the harder time they have kind of molding it into a cost-effective version of what they like.
2: It would be interesting in Japan too because as we've talked about I think last week – that there's sort of this cradle-to-grave mentality in, in Japanese wrestling, maybe in Japanese business overall, that you, you stay with the promotion that you start with, although I think there would be a lot of promotions and or wrestlers that would be willing to cooperate with WWE and allow their wrestlers to be in the tournament, which may unravel into the, some of those wrestlers who get in the tournament and ending up signing with WWE. That would be an interesting thing to see unfold. But, and, and in Mexico, it would be interesting politically, too, because you know you have the CML and AAA That are, you know, fiercely competitive and really dislike each other and how would how would WB navigate or disrupt that situation?
1: Yeah, and we've also seen American feds that have wanted to work with them. And, you know, you end up with the crash or something like that. And I I just don't always know if you get a good representation of those countries. The UK one seems to be about the only example where you could make a strong argument that a lot of the very best talent in the UK was getting signed and getting developed there. Versus – and even still, we, we were missing some people, right? Um, but versus uh, uh, in Japan and in Mexico, so much of that talent is already on exclusive contracts that it's tough to to dig in unless I, you're going to do I, a amateur tournament. I if there are m-
2: even that many written contracts, especially once we get below the level of New Japan, let's say. All right, are there really written contracts for, let's say, the stars of Dragon Gate and for DDT and for All Japan and Big Japan? I, I don't know.
1: True, but we also know that it's tough to go against the loyalty of some of these companies knowing that, you know, great, I'll get a year in WWE at a low guarantee. Is that really worth it to me? Um, The last one here, TV in-ring show 14. Uh, What this strikes to me is I bet you anything. The very first question on the survey I skipped, which was, do you currently subscribe? I have access through a friend or family member. I do not currently have access and i wonder very much if this would be in a good example of a a question that pulls differently between the people that currently subscribe and the people that don't subscribe because yeah. this to me strikes me as the argument people make of why they don't subscribe and they would say yes this is i'm really interested in that but it, again it's not where their money is their mouth is it's just that they will say that as the reason they don't like the product
2: and by the way that that first question indicates that they must have distributed this to people who are former subscribers. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, I thought that was that was an intriguing, you know, question. I guess I should have looked to see which account I got the email on because I I have two different WWE Network emails where I think I I subscribed under one. I canceled it and then I went to my normal one or I never subscribed under one. And that was just my old WWE shop account. And then I've only ever used the other account. I don't even remember which one it was. Uh, but I get sometimes two emails from them. One will be, hey, why don't you rejoin the WWE Network? And one of them will be, yeah.
2: watch this pay-per-view tonight. Come to think of it, actually, I am. I have subscribed on two different email accounts. And the one that I have received it on, I I have to look at the other one. But the one that I have received it on, I am a former subscriber with that account. So I guess that answers that question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, The next set of questions was WWE's Director's Cut, shows that put on a new twist on classic content such as WWE Legends narrating historic pay-per-views, current WWE superstars providing their perspectives and analysis of classic matches and events. Number one. Number two was new reality shows, reality shows featuring life on the road for WWE superstars, insider's view of WWE superstars' intense training and workout regiments, WWE superstars' cribs, WWE-style apprentice to win a job at WWE, or WWE Legends House Season 2 Attitude Era. And last one being Audio Channel, a section of WWE Network for listening only that provides audio pay, play-by-play of the pay-per-views, music, playlists, sports, radio
2: style, call-in shows, and podcasts. Um, and this is a not, lot an there. idea that I've – the Audio Channel at least is an idea that I've I've thought of. I'm, not that I'm, I'm the first one to ever think of it, but you think about some of the things that they have on the network like the interviews that they have. Whether it's the Steve Austin podcast interviews, which they no longer do, but they still have things like, uh, again – they, these are things that they no longer do, I guess, for the Renee Young show where she's interviewing someone or the JBL Legends show where he's interviewing someone. The idea that visuals don't matter. Right. It's more – the audio is more important. Than the, and if you, had, if you had some way to just distribute the audio to people, whether it's like a, an RSS feed with a, with a paywall with a login wall like the Torch and the Observer have, uh, and where it's something you can play in your car or you can just play right off of your phone then that, that's something that would have value to, to me, and I would probably use it sometimes.
1: That's a great example of the difference between you and I. Um, I I don't know if I would listen to WWE podcasts just because even today there's so many great podcasts out there I don't listen to, and there's so many things where WWE stars themselves have podcasts, so Jericho, Austin, Edge, and Christian, Storm, you know, everybody has one, and it's out there, and I just don't consume it myself right now. Well, maybe they could but, take over some of that market. Maybe they could... And that's why I think they're interested for sure. Is I think they they look at it and say, maybe they could steal, look at steal the money Jericho that was left on Austin. the
2: table. Maybe they could steal yeah. away Jericho or Austin from Podcast One or something like that. Exactly.
1: Um, so I, I don't think it's a bad idea by any means. I just mean I I from from a difference between you and I, I think that's a good example of like, you know, you're going to see individual differences. We're not all aligned. We don't have all the same taste, and that's fine. That's good.
2: There was no uh, question the first one on here about whether you'd be interested in Blu-ray discs, though. Or I'm sorry, la- laser discs. Laser discs. Yeah. laser discs.
1: And speaking of which, uh, I did look up a bunch of laser discs for wrestling, and you find a lot of UWF stuff, interestingly enough, really? and some like, uh, of yeah, 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 Japan
2: UWF or like Herb Avery
1: yes. UWF. No, no, Japan UWF. Oh. Japan, Japan loves laser disc a lot more than us ever did. Us, you can get like WWF Volume One. Uh, you can get a best of Hulkamania disc. You can get No Holds Barred. But there's not a lot of wrestling. And then PWI did like a Lords of the Ring disc one time. But uh, most of the stuff you're going to find is going to be Japanese wrestling. And there's a lot of – New Japan did a whole bunch. FMW did some. Like I say, UWF did some. So uh, there, there's a lot out there. I don't think I'm going to buy any of it just because I'm, I'm trying to be a budget Laserdisc consumer. You know, Buy the stuff that I can get for 10 bucks or less. But, you know. Um, WWE Director's Cut. Shows that put a twist on the classic content. Uh, I like this idea. When I started talking about the network, if you go back to the earliest writings I did about the network, this is exactly what I pitched, which is we would have a playlist of Shawn Michaels matches and Dolph Ziggler would talk about why he loves this match. And you could do alternative commentary and Mick Foley would give you the alternative commentary during the Nasty Boys versus Max Payne and Cactus Jack match. You know, it would be that kind of stuff. And I would love it. And and I was like, this is what I think the network should be. And I was always kind of frustrated that we didn't see more of that.
2: And this is something that Steve Austin's done on his podcast itself where he's done at least on two occasions. He's sat down and watched his match with The Rock from WrestleMania 17 and basically – provided alternate commentary that you can line up with the video and he did the same thing for his match with Bret Hart from uh, Wrestlemania 13 and I and that was that was really interesting stuff to me and maybe that's more because I'm a wrestler and I you know I'm trying to share this with students and stuff to listen to Steve Austin talk you through an entire match and like what's going on in his mind and why why is he doing this and that
1: but it goes to me like if you watch the old NFL Films Channel stuff or the boxing stuff, they would do the same sort of thing there too. And I think if you're a fan of it, you consume it. It interests you, and I do think it's worth a premium. And I would love it. I could never understand why they didn't do more of that because to me, the entire point of the WWE Network was to bri- to take your content that was old. This was when I thought of it as a content library, not as a new streaming service. You know where it's producing new content was to connect the fans today to the content from before by showing the bridge using your superstars today or by taking people today and offering new content versions of it. So if Ricky Steamboat wants to commentate his match with Flair, great. That interests me to go watch that match that I haven't watched for so long because now there's a new version of it that's out there that can help me want to consume this. And I think that's the thing that, that I'm, I've am i been so surprised that they don't do more of. And I don't know if that's because the production for that is the sort of thing that they would want to do in Stanford and they don't have the guys going to Stanford every every month or if that's just because, um, you know, they just don't see a value in that content and being able to leverage it. But I think it's really underappreciated as an idea. Uh, new reality shows. Uh, I, I think it's funny the list of these shows because they're so different. So the first one, life on the road. Which and the next one, ins- right. yeah, training and workout regimens, which does not interest me. But I can understand that there's a market for that because you know the people that like that fitness training stuff, they they they're pretty rabid. You know, you do see that with like the bodybuilding and whatnot world. That they I I think it's silly for them to pretend that's not a portion of their audience. So that makes sense to me. Uh, WWE superstar Cribs. Uh, that would be a tough one because <laughs> that, you know, because now you're going again in that duality for people. And then the question about like, now we're talking about how much guys make.
2: And, and, and it's real quick like uh, about this workout stuff. I mean, can you just imagine like, let's say, you know, Vince McMahon, there's that story about Mark Henry, you know, trying to keep up with Vince McMahon in the, in the W corporate gym. Just imagine what a great 30 minute episode that could produce, you know?
1: I you know like I say any show that is about Vince McMahon doing blank
2: yes, I'll watch Vince that McMahon show will, will be extremely interesting and I think he has some uh, reluctance to do stuff like that and that's why he appears so infrequently on TV today.
1: Absolutely, I think Vince is very conscientious about his. I don't like old people on my TV. I don't like not good-looking people on my TV. And I think very much he doesn't care about people caring about him. Um, then you get superstar cribs. Like I say, I think you'd run into some big issues there. Like, it's interesting, but who do you got? You got Cena's crib, you got Austin's crib, you got the rocks crib, but it's like, people don't want to go see that Beth where, um, uh, Beth Phoenix is a bad example cause she's married to edge, but, uh, you know, where, where Dana Brooke lives. Like, I, I don't think it will impress people, <laughs> uh, WWE style apprentice to win a job at WWE. That one was fascinating because I imagine you thought what I thought, which is that's not for a wrestler. That's for like a,
2: a finance geek like me and you. Yeah, I, I think this – maybe this is directed at, at us. Maybe you're going to appear on the W Network someday and, and get browbeaten by Vince McMahon and he'll finally get his revenge.
1: Well, I think it would be like tough enough where Vince McMahon shows up for maybe 10 seconds of one episode. Yeah. I think uh, you know, it would be go work for – choose the head – you know, go work for Ed Wells and in International or something um is that and is that then
2: have a wide a wide appeal though i can't imagine i think it's a Even nice among thing their pitch, current subscribers. No. like yeah. no no i don't think so because i i you, think you and me will care about that but yeah
1: i mean i'd rather see uh i was gonna say i'd rather see real world version of that but then, that's basically what tough enough is tough enough is real world you you shove a bunch of different people in and then you're having some kind of thing you're making them do uh last one being legends house season two attitude era Uh, I thought that was just funny because I was just like that's so different than all those other ones they just listed there is all the other ones I would argue are pretty much let's back end on something else. Maybe The Apprentice Show is a little bit more like it. But let's back end on something else that's happening versus this one being like let's actually pay a bunch of people to go to a house and film them and come up with these silly schemes. And if there's one thing I've learned, it's that maybe that – model is a little dated and dead but at the same time it seems like that legends house as silly and stupid as it was that's actually one of the most consumed things they
2: had on the network for a while so and and that's according to what the rankings
1: uh, as i would just recall call how they like yeah when the rankings came out and other things they talked about and the way they promoted it online um so I I I could see them doing it. Um, they obviously have the talent, and hey, if it means that Naked Midian is going to be sharing a house with William Regal, uh, I'm all for it. Tajiri shows up, you know. Oh dear, can you imagine? I yeah, actually, now that I'm pitching this, I'm all about it. Funaki is is hanging out there with Midian and him, and
2: uh, yeah. Goldust walks into the room and uh, breathes really heavily.
1: Yeah, it would be intriguing. Um. Next set, uh, this is where you had made some comments. Do you want to read, read the next set of choices?
2: Sure. Where, where are we? We're under virtual reality. Indeed we are. So they put out questions on virtual reality slash augmented reality where it can look like you're sitting ringside at a WB event, which sounds very expensive, at least in 2017. Uh, they asked about download to go which I believe – is that something that they're already offering in, in India? Or they have offered in India? No, I don't believe no. they, they've actually done this anywhere yet. There's talk of it because there are some
1: countries... I've, I've talked about it because I've said that they need to do that in YouTube because YouTube does
2: that. But I I, I didn't think they actually ever implemented it, did they? We would have, we'll have to look into that later. I'm, I'm, I want to say they have experimented at least with that in India. But anyway, there are some countries like India that don't have really great broadband access, and the the idea is you can get to a Wi-Fi hotspot or something, and you can download the programs that you want to watch later, and then you can later watch them without any internet access, offline viewing, as they say. At CES,
1: Michelle Wilson said that the offline viewing and downloadable content are, quote, definitely on the roadmap for the WWE Network. That was back in January. So... Uh, she, she, she said it was on the roadmap. She, she hinted at it, but she has not actually said where they're doing it yet. As far as I know. Okay.
2: And then we have personalization. Uh, this is where you could customize you do a custom playlist, which they already have playlists out there. Like I can make a playlist of events, but I can't yet make a playlist of matches or of angles or promos.
1: And I, I kind of love this idea If if, you know, I can get a best of the gambler list that someone puts together and makes it work on the network. That would be exciting for me.
2: I don't know who the gambler is, but that sounds exciting. Um, Can't believe you do not
1: know who's, who's, who's the gambler. What's the, he was a WCW jobber. Uh Jeff Gann, Mike Gann, something was his name. But uh he he would come out with cards and he would just like he would always have like ha ha and throw throw playing cards at the audience and then lose. I he was my absolute favorite jobber. Fantastic.
2: And they're also talking about personalization, where you can change the look and the feel of the network, so you can maybe have a wallpaper of your favorite wrestler in the background. You can change the way the colors are, or something like that. You change the user interface, basically. Um, And we have alternate audio, uh, such as Steve Austin or Jerry Lawler calling a pay-per-view, and it's sort of like what we talked about earlier. You know, something that Steve Austin has done already.
1: I think they mean live, though. I think they mean like this would be. That is what it means. You have a choice right. of commentator team one or commentator team two. Yeah,
2: which would be – that. I almost wonder if they would really do that. Like does Vince McMahon really want to provide an alternative to his micromanaged commentary?
1: It would be interesting from the standpoint of saying – Because he can't produce what if, two commentary teams. Well, at yeah. What if, what if the the pitch and the appeal secretly is – oh, my God, you won't believe how honest commentary track number two is. <laughs> and commentary one is the one for the fans. Commentary two is the one for the people that are the hardcores that I are see. paying extra. And, and it
2: would be on that other tier, of course, that's right. That's my thought.
1: I mean, they actually haven't said uh, you're right. They started it off by saying WWE is considering some special features that may be available to the WWE network as part of a premium price tier.
2: And I would think anything additional that they're brainstorm about here is stuff that they're gonna put on the the tier because like why would they put any of this extra stuff why would they do extra work for people without getting some extra pay for it
1: Oh I think that you know it's funny they actually didn't the first set of things we listed here were not oh no no I take that back that the, this premium tier was mentioned on all of them yep and the last one is social
0: at Parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices.